much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business My mirrors are black for you You don't go in the bathroom with me Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said Okay, we're going We're going Greetings, My name is Justin Moore I'm Liam O'Donnell You're listening to another Chilling episode Of Hard Business I like that it's chilling, chilling. Specifically This That's episode good. This episode is going to be It's so jam-packed with so much cool stuff That I'm not even going to There's going to be no niceties We're going to jump right into it I'm going to tell you why It's jam-packed and awesome Mostly why it's awesome, because you're going to find out why it's jam-packed. And I'm talking too much already. First off, it's our 10th episode. 10 episodes. Double digits. Of this craziness. We're not children anymore. We are definitely torturing you. We're definitely torturing you. Secondly, people. Who's our first guest? First guest. I mean, you could really think of me in some ways as an extended never, guest. No, no, no. But guess what? I'm never leaving. So. Yeah. Liam is now... Liam is like... He's like Jack Black in High Fidelity. You know, I hired him part-time. He just starts showing up every day. Every fucking day. So, yeah. We're sitting here with Albert Martin, notably of the <laughs> Lehigh Valley Pump. Uh, yeah, Lehigh Valley Pump Rock Board. Oh, my God. The Lehigh Valley Heart Community. Yes. Hi, everyone. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Awesome. Good to be here. Yeah. It's really awesome that you came on. I'm really, I'm really excited. Like, this, is, this makes me feel really good. It sort of validates me as a podcaster. I well, I mean, our, our long-term goal is to have on more guests, so yeah. I think that's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, we really value our magic that we have together. We do. We have a bond. We have a very special... Yeah. We have a special relationship. It's like Britain and America. But I, I'm of the opinion that any good relationship is better with more people. I agree. So uh, our, our podcast exists to welcome people into it. And uh, Albert... It's so great knowing someone. I mean, I knew Justin coming up here, but I didn't know if I was going to find anyone else who was into horror. And if it wasn't for Albert, I wouldn't know that there's actually a lot of, you know, freaky horror people up in the Lehigh Valley. I had no idea. There's a lot of them. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, you know, I just started that, that Facebook page just uh, on a whim to really show off my art collection. And so many people joined. It, it was a little bit about you showing off what you had, right? You just yeah. want people to see, like, <laughs> well, this is... because I didn't want my normal friends on my regular Facebook page to see some of the stuff I guess I was interested in. Sure, sure, sure. It's kind of, it's kind of like when I was a, when I was a kid, um, it was the same way with a friend of the podcast, John Carlo DeMarco. Sure. He was, like, the older, cool guy with the cool record collection. And, I mean, his record collection was so cool that it was, like, I'd log on Facebook and it was like John Carlo DeMarchi and he was a friend like, oh cool, that was another friend request. John Carlo's John Carlo's record collection. I was like like just to be like, yeah, check I'm like yeah. So it's kinda like that. <laughs> so John, if you're listening, I, I didn't forget about that at all. I think um we we're today recording live. No, it's not live. I'll edit this. But we're recording from my, my home in Easton, and I'm I'm glad we're here. It's very convenient for me. But if we had gone to Albert's home, then, Justin, it would have been hard to drag you away from his. He has an impressive film collection. Yeah. Let alone, so I see all these films. When I went to your house, Albert, and you were like, oh, here's the films. And I'm like, wow. And then we go up to the attic, and you're like, oh, here's some other stuff. 
and there's toys and collectibles and, that. and it's like you know the the film collection is the jewel yeah but then with it is not a small i mean you at this point not that you ever would because you collect these things because you actually want to have them but uh you could open a store at this point i feel like you have enough things that if you were willing to give them away, which I don't know why you would want, even for money, why you'd want to, because it's an amazing collection. But there's enough there. You know, like, I collect comic books, but I couldn't open a comic shop. Like, yeah, yeah. I have, like, three boxes. Like, dudes would be like, this is what this is what we got? Okay, we got a full X-Men and a full Alpha Flight, and that's it. That's all you have. Yeah. But I feel like, Albert, with, with not just with the amazing films that you've managed to collect, but all of the various... And, you know, we're, we're talking about horror today, but your interests go beyond horror also to exploitation films into uh classic cartoony stuff and every day and even in, in the horror group you post stuff that i'm like oh whoa what is that so the nice way to say i'm a hoarder yeah no no, no not at all you know it, just don't throw anything away you know but i've been collecting for a, for a long long time ha- have you ever um have you heard about the exhibit out in los angeles uh jammer the clothes bleak house oh, i'm not you imagine yeah I, I i was out in la a few years ago and this was this was back when it was sort of like he had the thing. The rumor was that if you if you could, it wasn't listed anywhere, but the rumor was that if you went there, if you could find it, and he was there, he would give you a tour. So like the person I was out there staying with, her and I, we just like we spent like a day out there. We knew the neighborhood it was in, but we couldn't find the house. And I I, I was like. And again, this was this was just like this was before he really like told me what was in there, and then he did the um, he released his notebook, like the collection, his, his like it was the it was like the the uh, concept art for like Chronos and Synagram and Hellboy and the Strain and all that, and he has like pictures of all the stuff he has in there, and it's like I mean like the full size bust of uh, the full size figure of like Lovecraft and Poe and like. All this insane stuff, and then they had the thing at the, at the museum, and uh, that's what I'm picturing. Like your attic is like, like it's not as organized in that sense. Like everything, at least in the Del Toro pictures, looks like it's there to be seen. Yeah, like he doesn't have like when I was at your house, Albert. You have stuff, but it's also stored away for convenience. You're not like it's not displayed. You're like in this bin open. Oh, look at all that amazing stuff! But you haven't like. You haven't yet turned your house into a museum. Yes. So if you find my house, I'll give you a tour. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, you know, there's something about collecting that you want to see other people's collections. Yes, know? yes. So, you know, the whole point was, was not so much to show off my stuff. But sure. Was, I wanted to see what other people had. Sure. What other people were interested in. And, you know, sometimes you feel funny. You can't really, in your, in your day-to-day life, talk about what you love. Mm. Especially hard. Mm. Hard is a great common ground. You can yeah. Really meet people. You can discuss all kinds of ideas on hard. I mean, you guys have been doing this for, for ten episodes. Now. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I I think, <clears throat> I think this is, I I really understand that appeal of that that horror aspect. I think the collecting aspect. I mean, when you you make a joke about being a hoarder, but it's not about that. Like, because being a hoarder or even just someone who's a pack rat like not like being a hoarder is at this point like an actual psychological illness but even if you're just a pack rat there's a difference between being a pack rat and being a curator and what i appreciate about your collection is 
sure, like your interests are maybe broader than some other folks, but you're still a curator. You're saying like, I found this thing and it's really interesting. And I went on my way to, you know, when you go into a pawn shop or into a thrift store or into a, a flea market, you're not like, I'll just take all of it. You're like looking, I got to find that. And you find that thing that's like, oh, look at this. This is so cool. And that is to me a, a talent. And it's one I appreciate, but I've never really developed on my own because I've never really uh, put the time into it. Like I, I talk about being a comic book collector, but I think my comic book collection is similar to my film collection in that I collect things because I want to consume them. And then once I've consumed them, I kind of want to keep them because I think they're cool. But like, the collection doesn't really matter to me that much, you know? I think, uh, and I think with all those things, comic books, records, films, it's partly just holding myself back. Because I feel like if I really got involved, I would get really involved, and I don't know if I'm ready to do that. <laughs> so, Albert, how, how, did, how did you get involved with, like, what, what, what got you into horror? Well, you know, um, I think perhaps like a lot of folks, I grew up with horror. I have really good memories of, of, of horror films. I grew up in a, in a pretty uh, uh, religious uh, uh, household, but my parents were not the type of uh, oppressive religious household in that they really encouraged me to to explore the arts. Okay. They really they really uh, felt like the love of people, the love of culture, the love of arts was was was the most important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think uh, maybe that backfired on them a little bit because the art that I loved the most was, was cinema, <laughs> especially uh, uh, horror films. But my dad um, loved uh, uh, science fiction and horror. So he would take me out to the movies to see horror films. We would watch films together. Okay. So growing up watching horror films with my dad is now like, uh, like a safe memory, a good, yeah. good memory. So there's so there's a, a comfort feel to uh, sure. horror films that I I think horror, a lot of horror films uh, fans can relate to. Absolutely, yeah. Right? There's there's something that uh, I mean, of course, they were scary when you were when you were young, but uh, you watch them now because for me they're very they're very well known. There's something about people um, making a film for the love of film. They know they're not going to make a ton of money, right? But but they they do it because they love the story, they love the emotional effect uh, that a horror film like, has on their audience. Absolutely, yeah. And and uh, there's nothing uh, great about it. It's interesting you said that because um, I express something related but somewhat different because I think in horror you do occasionally get people who are motivated by making money. Like there are those horror films that are made as like a cash grab. Now, of course we can all make the argument that, well, there wasn't that much money. I mean, in horror films, but there were those other examples. Like for example, uh, if you made a Friday the 13th, well, you were making far exceeded what you put into it. Absolutely. You know? But one of, one of the things I find so valuable about horror is that even some of those movies where I feel like if you read the history of that movie, it might be a little, slimy you yeah, know yeah. that we just wanted to make a movie and we knew horror films do good so we're just gonna make this horror movie it's still good like i i like that it's one of those art forms where um you can find something compelling and interesting to talk about something that moves you and something that's fun even knowing that the people who made it were just kind of like i don't know just do whatever because what you get in that 
is maybe the producers, maybe the whatever. But somebody sometimes, again, not always. There are some really bad horror films, but somebody got involved who was just like, "This is my chance." You know, they just want to make money, so they're gonna let me do whatever I want, and this is what I'm gonna do. And then we watch it and go, "Oh my god, I can't believe they just did that!" You know, yeah. and so it's that that weird relationship actually allows you to take chances, as opposed to with a lot of Hollywood films, the money involved. Even though the film might do great, it actually keeps you from taking chances because you're worried that, oh, well, if I do the wrong thing and we lose $20 million, yeah. you know, you make a movie for three hundred grand, it's a little easier to be like, I don't know, let's just do this. Let's just try this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Even so there, there are people who like, uh, and this, this, this is also just a little side note, um, in that Nightmare on Elm Street documentary, when they like, yeah. Rennie Harlan, yeah. whatever movie he made, and he was like talking, he was like, yeah, like my mom called me, and this is my, my big break, and I'm like, listen, to like, that's your big break, man. Like, that's, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you, you can say, I can say that as a fan, but like, if I made a movie, like, let's say Albert gave me some money and I made a movie. Hint, hint. Whatever. But I, I have no plan right now. But let's say I made a movie and it did okay. And because of the strength of that movie, someone's like, okay, this may sound crazy, but we want you to make Saw 8. As much as there's a, as a fan, I hear that someone's like, you're going to make, you know, they're coming out with Saw 8. I'd be like, why the fuck are they coming yeah, out with Saw 8? Yeah, why is that But if you're a struggling person who, like, doesn't know how you're going to break into film, someone's like, we're going to let you direct Saw 8. You go, fuck yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, you'd, you have, you would have to be so certain of your own abilities to say no to any sequel. You would yeah. have to be like, nah, I'm fucking amazing. I, I, I mean, there are directors like that, like, uh, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino. It's always his own shit. I'm sure post Pulp Fiction, people had to be throwing money at him, like direct this, direct that, and he's like, "Fuck you guys." Yeah. But like again, he had Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction under his belt. It's easy. I feel like if you've only done one thing or you haven't done anything, you're gonna be. I mean, when I remember that part when Rennie Harlan's like, I think it was part four. Was what, four? Which one did he direct? I, I thought he directed four. four. Yeah. I don't know. People who know more than us will say. Yeah. But I'm thinking like, as part of me wants to be like, "Oh, that one's bad," but then part of me is like. Yeah, but if you get a chance, why not? I mean, that I mean that. In, okay, let me let me backpedal a little bit. I think that's a bad example just because of how much of a cash cow that that, that franchise was. Yeah, and all, almost all the Night Rhino trees made money. You know what I mean? It's not like not like Hellraiser. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like with Hellraiser Five, their star was Craig Schaefer of such films as Fire in the Sky and Nightbreed. Like that was the the F list star that they got. Sure. Like, um. And that's that's I mean the Hellraiser franchise would be one where it was like how how would they how they would get people to direct that like how do they pitch that to like a struggling director or I don't know I mean people got to work man yeah, like, yeah. I think that's what it boils down to and I and I do wonder uh, my image of a director is like an auteur right like I'm I'm thinking everyone's fucking Martin Scorsese or <laughs> yeah you know Lars von Trier or, yeah but there's got to be directors who are just like yo I like that I like doing this. This is a job I enjoy. Yeah. Who would be just as happy, like, if they got a job on Chicago Heat or a job doing a movie, they'd just be like, cool, I'm going to have a steady paycheck for a while yeah. and do this. Because, I mean, it's a stressful thing. I'm not trying to downplay how hard it is to be a director. But if if you don't know what your other option is and you get this opportunity, it must be hard. Again, isn't this the thing with any artist? Like, if you get a job illustrating for a corporation you might be too much of an artiste to, to do that. And, yeah. I, and I'm not mocking that because I, I, there's a strength of vision there per se. But I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like, yo, man, yeah, I'll take that check. Like, 
You know, like, what do you do? I'm just going to draw butt plugs for the rest of my life. Sounds good. Let's do it. Here it is. Send me the first one. (laughs) I actually meant to say medical supplies because I had a friend who quit a medical supply illustration job to, like, pursue their dream. Yeah. But then instead of a medical supply, I said a butt plug, and I don't know why. (laughs) All right. So what did you want to talk about? Where were you starting with here, Justin? All right. Um, So let's just... uh, uh, let's just talk about some of the stuff we've seen. Um, I'm going to talk. I just want to give like a brief shout out to like uh, we'll, we'll talk about the you know the you know the stuff like this is hardcore and monster Man and all that stuff a little bit. But um, Albert, did you see what was it? What we saw lights, lights, lights out. out. Did you see lights out? We did. Yo, Albert doesn't. So, so Albert doesn't I, do I new horror you, movies. My, my real interest. I, I like a lot of, I guess what people call Euro trash. Okay. Yeah. I like a lot of European horror. Okay. Yeah. That's really my thing. Okay. Yo, and, yo, I'm into that. Yeah. I mean, and, and I do watch some modern horror films, but I'm 43. I mean, so my golden age kind of like for horror is late uh, yeah. 70s, 80s, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and my latest movies were. Um, we're still here. Oh, right? It was awesome. good. I thought that was. Awesome. Did you like that? Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, fantastic movie. And, and I tried to catch up a few things on on that. Go ahead. Whatever. So, uh, lights out. Um, it's based on a short. It's based on a short. Film. The short film is horrifying. One of the scariest two minutes I've ever seen. It. Like, I mean, and because it. But the strength in it is that it. It's. It doesn't. It doesn't explain anything. Um. So the, the short film is like this woman, and she's like uh, doing laundry. She's like getting ready to go to bed for the night, and she turns the light off. And when she turns the light off, she sees the silhouette of a woman standing in her door. And she turns the light back on, silhouette's gone, light goes off. She's there, light goes on, blah blah blah. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. That. So she goes yeah. to her room, and creepy stuff happens. And then, you know, it's really it's it's it's insanely creepy. So then, like, I found out that they were doing... Did James Wan produce that? I want to say he did, because why would sure, he? yeah. I mean, like, that guy has his fingerprints all over everything. Um, so they made this movie, and Liam and I went and saw it. I'm not going to say it was a waste of money, but... I can't finish that sentence without lying. <laughs> I honestly... First off, first off, fuck Sinopolis. That awful theater we went to that promised luxury and we got ragged. So, so uh, this is this is what happened, Albert. We we I read an article about this new theater chain that's kind of like an Alamo Draft House. It's supposed to be like fancy. So then on the movie app, it claims that this theater just over in Jersey is now one of these theaters. So we went out there, and maybe it will be this at some point. But yeah. right now, it's a shitty shit theater. I yeah. mean, to be fair. It was also discount nights. We paid six bucks. Six bucks, yeah. So, you know, cheap theater, that's cool. But, like, it was just not a very quality experience. And, again, it, if it was a theater right by the house, it'd be like, oh, I just went to the local theater and it's fine. But it's because it's this company that's gotten all this hype lately of, like, f- you know, fancy theaters and in-theater dining and all this stuff. Like, oh, we're offering this fancy experience. Yeah. And I, my guess is they probably bought that theater and just haven't done anything to it yet. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened. It's like, it's still, it was still... We, like, we drove a while. It, I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, we didn't drive to like New York or Philadelphia, but we drove, it, it was like, it made it made a night out of it. We were stoked to check it out because yeah. then the, and the website doesn't say under construction or we're not there yet. It's yeah. got pictures of a theater that's super nice. Yeah. That's not the theater and we went to. Way not the theater we went no, to. No, it's not even close. It's not even close. So there's that. 
Um, that's not to say me and Liam walked in and our monocles fell off and our top hats instantly discharged. Like, we weren't like, hmm. But it, you know, it was kind of like, alright. And then there was like stains in the carpet. Whatever. So, I think my biggest problem with this movie is that they showed every scary part in the trailer. True. So, there. There's that. Secondly, one of the strengths of horror, and Stephen King used to be big on this, was creepy shit happens. Why'd it happen? I don't know. It just happened. And that was the strength of the short film, was you saw this weird thing happen, and then it was, boom, it was done. And then, what the fuck? Like, you were left to deal with what you saw, and not why you saw what you saw. Sure. But this movie was like, they kind of explained what was going on. Sure. And, I, I mean, literally, it was like, I'm not even, I couldn't, I mean, there was something about a woman who was locked up for depression, and then her friend, I think, had some skin disease where she couldn't be exposed to light. So the doctors, because doctors do this in insane asylums, because it's like a Dickensian society we live in. And the thing is, like, this was like 19, when they're talking about one little girl, it was like the 80s. And this wasn't like the 50s, they the keep, 40s. Like all, it was, all the flashbacks make it feel like... 1970 maybe if you're lucky like more like late 60s but if you do the math there's no way this has to be like 88 yeah at least so then like uh, so yeah it just I mean there, there was a couple scary parts I don't you know I, I, I, I honestly think the scene with the mannequins and the scene where the mom and the little boy are watching a movie and she's like alright we're gonna turn the lights off now like I'm not gonna lie though that was like effective filmmaking that was really scary like the black light with the like that was legit. Like, all right, something horrifying might happen, and then of course it didn't because why would why would there be a payoff? Not that there needs to be a payoff, but yeah, um, it just wasn't like they like the first jump scare was like kind of scary, but then the cinematography was so bad that it was like the way a shot would be framed, you'd be like, okay, something's gonna come from right there, someone will look right there, oh, and there something is, and it's not scary, and it was just like. It was only like 80 minutes long, but it honestly felt like... I mean, how long are we going to do the, I'm looking in the mirror, there's something behind me, yeah, like, exactly oh man, I've like, seen that too. I, you know what it reminded me of, and Albert, I, you might be able to identify with this a little bit. You know how in certain kinds of horror movies, I, in my brain as a kid, I feel like this happened in Nightmare on Elm Street movies would be the moment where they... Or whatever it is about Freddy that's unique to this movie, this is when we're going to discuss it, you know? But I think a few horror movies had this like... It's the reveal part. Like, if this is the kind of horror movie where the victims are going to fight back, there has to be a moment where someone tells you what's going on. There has to be some sort of information download. And I don't... Sometimes movies do those well, sometimes they don't. You know, I'm not yeah. going to... I have mixed feelings on that. I tend to prefer, like you said, a movie where there's no explanation, but sometimes there's sometimes it works and it builds on the mythology. Whatever. Yeah. This movie felt like one long explanation. It's like... The movie seemed to almost be like, look, you guys know there's a girl in the dark. You saw the short film. Now we're going to show you for an hour and 20 minutes why she's there. And like every scene didn't build on the feeling of terror. It built on the, wait, why is this happening again? And it just gave you a little more information, a little more information. And then the big reveal is not like, now she's going to kill everybody. It's like, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah. And then, like, and then it's just like, okay, well, now we have to end the movie, so let's figure out a way to end the so movie. So does it have a horror ending? Like, is there is there a horror reason behind it? There was apparently a, yeah. there, there was apparently a post credit scene that Liam and I were way too pissed oh. off to stay and watch. <laughs> yeah. 
But there was. I didn't. There even was. Know about yeah, that. like they're sitting in the. They're, they're, they're like sitting in the ambulance, and they're like, oh, oh yeah. Let me. Leave the, can we just say spoilers? Right Spo- now? Okay, spoilers. Because I'm going to talk about the worst scene in this movie. I don't give a fuck, and I don't feel bad if I spoil it because you shouldn't be watching stuff. I hate this movie now. Just now, I went from <laughs> to I hate this movie. <laughs> like legit, you watched it happen. It's on record. Fuck this movie. It was stupid. It was a waste of money. Go ahead. The scene at the end. So they're in the ambulance and they're sitting there and they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah, blah, blah. um. In the post-credit scene, you see like what was her name? Diana, something like that. Dorothy, Susan. I don't know. We'll, we'll go with Susan. We'll go it's with Susan. Definitely not my. It's wife's not your wife's name. Yeah. So, so anyway, Linda is standing under a streetlight in the light. Dun dun dun! Like that was the big thing. But the worst part about this was. They, they find out that, they, again, they don't explain this at all, but she's apparently tied to Maria Bello, who's actually kind of good in this movie. She's right. She definitely plays like the, she's better than every, she's better than everyone else except for that little kid. That little kid I felt horrible for for the whole movie because the, the, little, person, the little kid nailed it. I definitely, he was the only one I gave a shit about. Like, yeah. So she's like, they find out that she's connected to this thing because it's following her and you're like, oh, I hope she doesn't kill herself. Yawn. And then she gets a gun and I forget what she says, but she like looks at the camera with the with the gun to her head, and there's like there's like was that actually like the screen tell? I can't tell. There might as well have been because it was that cheesy. And she's like, "I'm saving you," and blows her head off. No, I love you. No, none of that. Just I'm saving you. And then and I, I was just like, God, like, and that was it. That that was like the- well, and you knew from forever before that that was going to happen because as soon as they sort of reveal like oh she's connected to your mom but that's my point is instead of no forever the movie was so hell-bent like explaining everything that it felt like they were like we can't ever say something nice so we have to have her explain why she's killing herself so she's going to be saying i'm saving you so instead of having this like like if i had a child and i was killing myself to save them i wouldn't be like uh by the way kid i'm doing this for you like i would have something nice to say to them like a you know what I mean? Like, and it was just, it was so just like, it was like obscene. Like, this is fucking, you're really, you're, you're taking the mother's love and you're cheapening it to a horrible plot point. I mean, the whole, you're, you're definitely not selling it. No, it's, no, no, it's no, no, don't watch this movie. No, no, no, no. And, and I would say for me, what it really boils down to is <laughs> someone had a very effective concept for a very short film. Yes. And then that someone threw money at them. Yep. And then we expanded this thing. And because you made a, effective two minutes doesn't mean you can write a script it, it, with characters it wasn't and... it wasn't mama because mama started the same way and i thought mama was amazing but they actually really i didn't really love mama, that. Ma- you didn't like mama it's fine i really like mama huh but i guess i mean part of, part of the thing and this is like kind of corny but i like uh jamie lancer in that movie like he was like uh he has like the nieces his two nieces and sure. he was, like had that very like fa- fatherly concern that like kind of struck a note with me because like oh i'll do that for my niece and then, I mean, it, it was, I, I just, <laughs> but that was an example of where they took a short film and they expanded on it. And I think it worked. Would yeah. you say it worked better than Lights Out? Well, yeah, but I mean, Lights Out, the only movie I've seen in the theater worse than Lights Out this year was the, was the other movie you made me go see. I didn't make you see <laughs> I would never have paid for either one of these movies. These are, I do a horror podcast with Justin. Justin cares about modern horror. He wants to go see this movie in the theater. If you were if you were like if you were like yo let's acquire these movies not legally I would do it because they just look like pieces of crap I would do that too 
I'm just saying, I wanted to go see a movie with you, and that's what it was. We're done talking about Lights Out. That's it. Albert, did you have anything to say? No, I think it would be interesting to hear then when you talk about Baskin, because Baskin yes. is based on 11 minute short film. Yes, yes, it is. I didn't yes. know that. Yeah, and, and I forgot. I was going to bring the Blu-ray so we could oh. watch the, the short film. And yeah. that, I forgot. Okay, we've, so all, we've, we've only seen the... Did you watch the short film, by the way? I did. We'll talk about that more when we get to that sure. in the episode, but we've only seen the full length. Yeah, I, yeah. I knew it was based on a short film, but I didn't know. Okay. Um, and we got a chance to watch it. Well, so I wanted to ask you this. Albert, what's the last thing you watched that was surprisingly good? Like, you weren't familiar with it. I mean, because I know you, you do a lot of things where you'll acquire something on video that you have seen before. So you last know. night I watched uh, Lamberto Baba's Macabre. Oh, I've never seen it. I, I The first time I watched that. That's sure. kind of what I mean by... I guess Euro trash for the horror films. Sure. And uh, I just love some of the. I love horror films that deal with uh, family dynamics. Okay. Yeah. And uh, uh, Cobb does that uh, very well. And uh, has a little bit of uh, a mystery thriller, a little bit of sleaze, of course. Yeah. Surprise ending. Um, I can't ruin it for you, but if you have. No, no, no. Seen that, would you say? That, would you say that it's like classic Baba? Is it very like? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, love these kind of I like I like Baba I like Baba a lot. Me of, uh, pieces, uh, oh, all right. So, uh, yeah, totally. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I like I like Baba a lot. I'm yeah. a, I'm, I'm a fan, but I haven't gotten it. I've seen maybe like four or five, you know. So it's not a list, but. I'm a, I'm a fan of that. That's cool. That's a good... I'm trying to think. Now that I'm like, well, we talked about Lights Out. Albert recommended something. Now I'm like, well, what was the last thing that I watched that wasn't with you? Have you watched any other horror on your own time that you were like, oh, this is something I want to talk about? Um, I mean, it kind of ties in with the way Baskin looks, but I made my girlfriend watch Event Horizon the other night. <laughs> so, I love Event Horizon. It's so good. It, it, it actually... Might be one of my favorite movies of the nineties. I've I've said numerous times I think that might be the most underrated film of the last twenty years. Oh. I love it. It's so good. I saw that in the theater. Oh my god! I, I, yeah. It must have destroyed you in the theater because I. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you a brief story about Event Horizon. Dude, tell, tell, away. Saw, tell away. I saw Event Horizon when I was in seminary with a, <laughs> with a seminary student. Okay, that's when, great. When the movie was done, he said, "Dude." How can you watch stuff like this? That was, that was the end of the discussion. That, I loved w- it. Was that also I the? W- I was going to say, was that also the that end of it. your friendship? Yeah, Did that? That was it. Oh man. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I mean, that was down in Kentucky. But Event yeah. Horizon. I mean, I still haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah. But I still remember scenes from that film. What's interesting about What's interesting about that is that uh, that he had that reaction and. You know, sort of connected with seminary because I saw Event Horizon. Um, I didn't see it in the theater. I think I was uh, a little young to see it in the theater, but I saw it. No, no, no. I think I could have seen it in the theater. Because I was like, I was like fourteen when that movie came out. How much older? How old are you now? Thirty-three. Came so out ninety-seven. So I was eighteen. So I could have seen it. Could've yeah, seen it. ninety-seven. I was eighteen. So I could have seen it uh, in the theater. I know I didn't though. I know we rented it for like a sleepover. Yeah. And it it fucked me up. Pretty pretty bad. I like not in like a not not as bad as like I saw The Exorcist when I was like twelve. That was a little bit more, but it, Event Horizon still had a big impact on me. But what's interesting about what you said about his reaction specifically as someone in seminary is that movie became really popular 
at the Jesus school I went to for college <laughs> because it was on the Zayo album. So Zayo's yes. a Christian hardcore band. They put out an album, Save Yourself from Hell. With that sample. And they quoted, they sampled the movie, uh, quoted, they sampled the movie multiple times. And that got people like, what is this movie that they're sampling? Oh, that's a Fed Horizon. What's that? We should watch that. I'm like, and there were people who would say that to me and I'd be like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And it, the same thing happened the album before that. They sampled uh, The Prophecy. And a lot of people watched The Prophecy after that. And, I, and, and you know, some people were stoked on it. Some people weren't. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's like it that became a thing that, like, when a band you liked, especially in that, like, kind of metalcore scene. Yeah. Um, when they sampled a movie, people would, like, want to watch that movie, which is cool. I think that opens up people to yeah. see more it's kinds like, of films like but sometimes people. you're like oh you're not like i'm sure there are people who watched event horizon after they heard it on that album and were like what the hell is this you know yeah. like i was gonna say it was like a one amendment 18 sampled by hellraiser and you know sales from hellraiser went to the roof no that never happened <laughs> i think my my friend from school actually used the word how could you that's so evil they actually right. used that word evil oh yeah right in, in, in describing the film I don't know. They just weren't very open to these types of movies. It's a really, I, I was, I think I was telling this to you the other day. It's the one scene that really, like, that I don't think gets enough credit is, like, it's horrific enough when, I forget the actor's name, but it's the character's name, character's name is Justin. After he goes to the portal and he comes out in Skatonic and he, like, wakes up and he locks himself in the airlock. And then he, like, sets it where, like, they can't override the security thing. And then the airlock's opening up. That is horrific enough. That right there is a nightmare scenario. But when I was, like, when I first saw this when I was, like, 15, 16 years old, the thing that really put it over the top for me was how, like, he kind of comes to seconds before. You know what I mean? He's in there, he's like, oh, no, blah, blah, blah, blah, blah. And then he's just like, what am I doing here? Like, come on, guys, let me out. Like, let me out. Like, and it was, I, I, would, I just remember being like, fuck. That makes it so much more horrific. Like, it would be bad enough if he was just completely out of it and got sucked out in the space, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler, but again, if you haven't seen Hunt and I don't want to be associated with you. Um, <laughs> um, that just made it like that much more horrifying was that that was what made it truly evil was that the ship, I guess, which was controlling all of it was like, no, I'm going to let this dude have this tiny moment of clarity before I kill him in the most horrifying way. That's a great movie. That makes me want to watch it. That's so good. We, we really should re- plan, plan some time to rewatch it sometimes. That's, that, this is the thing I will say, because um, you haven't gotten to go as much, but you have gone a little bit to the drive to the Mahoning Drive-In, and so it's kind of it's kind of neat that we have this like repertory theater now, like yeah. in our area, doing stuff all summer long. But, you know, 90s movies don't always get the repertory love. They don't. Mahoning is doing it a little bit, but only with like very accessible kind of like uh, cult things, like... Uh, Big Lebowski, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, like some of those will get a little bit of it. Yeah. But when it comes to horror, and again, I'm I'm with you, Albert. Like I like old Euro trash stuff a lot. But there's a few '90s movies that I'm like, yo, you could show that. Like when one year exhumed as part of their marathon showed Darkman, and a bunch of people were like oh, Darkman, and I was like, oh fuck yes, Darkman. Like I love Darkman. Like yeah. it's so good. And I, I, you know, those few things. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think overall the '90s is is is mostly a morass. Like it's not, it's not. Rain was big. Like yeah, there are a lot of things that bad happened in that decade. Yeah. But when there are those aspects of the decade that are worth doing, especially because you can still do film. Like I get not wanting to show something from 2004. Yeah. Because you're like, come on, that was only 12 years ago. We don't have it on film. Like let's just leave that alone. I kind of get that. But there's a lot of movies from the '90s that 
get ignored that I think are actually pretty good for what they are. I would just say this about Event Horizon. You know, one thing that's awesome about Event Horizon is you would think that sci-fi and horror could be two genres would be very easy to combine, but they're they're a little bit harder to combine yeah. than both successfully. And Event Horizon to me is one of the best, you know, modern combination of Absolutely. science fiction and horror. I mean, I mean, honestly. A lot of people do the Alien, Aliens double feature. I would do Alien, Event Horizon. I think Alien and Event Horizon are more closely related than Alien and Aliens, yes. which are like in the same universe, but are very different movies. They're very different tonally. They're very different. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a disturbing lack of Bill Paxton and Michael Bean in Alien, <laughs> and there's a disturbing lack of Yafik Kato in Aliens. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> I, I mean, both you know, <laughs> there's so many movies that have a disturbing lack of Yafikado. It's like a real bummer. I agree, and only one movie that has a disturbing excess of Yafikado: Freddy's Dead Final Oh no, you're right about that. Actually, I'll, I'll support that. Yeah. What? Yeah. Let's leave that alone, and let's move on to uh, one thing we've all seen: a little thing called Stranger Things. Yes. yes. I want to spend a little bit. We want to spend a little let's, bit of time. Let's, let's unpack. This. Let's unpack this. So, Albert. I wanted to ask you about it specifically because I know the the category that is Netflix TV show is not necessarily something that you jump on board with a lot. You know, you're not someone who's like, oh, I can't wait for the next Netflix series to come out. But you've well, seen that's it. that's not exactly true, though, because I, I do, I am a comic book guy. So oh, that's true. So you've been watching the, the things. That's true. That's true. Man, Luke Cage. Still, as someone I know mostly who was really into film, I, you did watch Stranger Things, and so I kind of wanted to know what you thought of it, like, the fact that you made an effort to see it, and, you know, but even with the comic book shows, I kind of appreciate that, that you've made the effort to see it, because I know sometimes, you know, for you, there's so many movies you want to see, you're not always making the effort to try to catch up with, like, TV and whatever else. Well, you know, part of the reason I don't really watch that many television shows is because I have to watch them straight through, you know, excessive get them all in. So Stranger Things is nice because it's only eight episodes. Right. You can get it in in like a day or two. But Stranger Things, to me, I mean, I can't wait to hear what your opinions are, but to me it was just a very genuinely, very sweet yes. you know, story. And and there's something, um, you know, if you grew up watching movies in the 80s, you have a lot of films that you grew up with with childhood actors, you know. Mm. Who needs to explore Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, they didn't feel to me when you were growing up, they didn't feel like like they were exploiting children, you know, with their through their storytelling. Yeah. It really seemed uh, uh, believable. Wow. Uh, so this was the same type of film for me, uh, same type of TV show for me. It was a very genuine to me and kind of sweet. Film. Yeah. And you know what? I gotta say, Winona Ryder. I thought she was fantastic. You know what? I really felt her her distress and her pain looking for her son. I thought she communicated that very well. Yeah. And as I get older, those are the type of things that I can relate to. Yeah. The distress of the parents. Absolutely. In this show, too, the parents are given a little bit more well-roundedness as compared to perhaps some of the films I watched when I was younger. Well, I, I was going to say that too because you, when you really bring up Winona Ryder, besides the fact that this is, for me, one of her strongest performances, period, as an actress. There's also the reality that, like, uh, in a show that a lot of people have been pointing to as nostalgia, homage, whatever, whatever, there are things it changes from the classic '80s, from the classic '80s movie. Yeah. If you're going off of Stephen King books, I think 
Stephen King in his I'm gonna fiction. That's something I want to pick apart. Stephen yeah. Stephen King in his fiction, I think, had a little more dynamic characters and had a few varieties, or whatever. But it, at least in '80s films, you didn't see the single mother struggling, the town judging her. Like that wasn't as often a theme. So you could say, well, that's updated. But the way they updated it also felt authentic. It wasn't like let's take all the politics of the millennials shove it into the 80s and then just try to make it work yeah the politics she's struggling against are actually i feel like pretty representative of what my mom went through as a single parent i mean granted i didn't disappear but those sorts of struggles that she had to deal with when i was that age at that time and so like it was interesting to say like the idea of focusing on this as a story represents the politics of now but they didn't do it by changing to make it anachronistic. We're still seeing what I felt was maybe not like photorealistic, but pretty accurate to what things were like then. But with the concern of saying, God, imagine how hard this would be for her. Like that was not always a concern with eighties movies. We didn't, we were more in like the adventure or like the thing. We were less like, Oh, and how horrible must it be to have a whole town judging you for being a bad parent? No one at the end of Goonies thought, well, these kids are probably still fucked after all this. (laughs) Just like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, especially Goonies, like, all those kids should have gone into protective custody after Absolutely, that movie. Yeah. Um, the one thing, the thing that, like, I, I think I love the most was that, um, and I am finishing this piece up for Cinepunks. Uh, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be writing about this. I am, I am. You I, son of a bitch. I'm, like, seven and a half pages in. Oh, dear, that makes me so happy. Yeah. So, um, it, it, was, a, it was a blending... Um, I, I felt of like classic Steven Spielberg and classic Stephen King, and I I I watched it. My girlfriend and I binged on it, and she had said at one point, like I know I know she got sick of me after like the tenth time of being like Paul's. You see that actually? That's a reference not only to uh, Ridley Scott's nineteen seventy six Aliens, but also I would say the eighty eight remake of The Blob. Eh, I don't know. Just, just unpause, watch the movie. Um, but she had said like it was the scene when. This is one thing I don't want to spoil. It was the scene when the older brother, after the thing happens, he's laying in bed listening to Joy Division. Sure. And then they flash back, and he's like, he's like, he gives his little brother the tape, and he's like, this is like David Bowie, David Bowie, The Smiths, and Joy Division. And she was like, did they make this about you? It's horror and like The Smiths, like, and I'm like, oh, maybe, like, but I, I thought it was it perfectly represented everything that is truly great about Stephen King and Steven Spielberg, and I, I think to like the layman. It's like, well, how, how are those two comparable? Because like Stephen King writes these like horrific books, and Steven Spielberg makes like E.T. And what people tend to forget is that Stephen King also wrote Stand by Me. He wrote The Shawshank Redemption. He wrote The Green Mile. Yeah. Even it, which is one, it was the it, that that was the first book I ever read where the blurbs on the cover were like, "Spiritual, and you'll never sleep again. You're gonna shit your pants, throw those pants up, and then you'll shit your new pants." Like all those blurbs. <laughs> No, the, I, the first time I read that book, I thought it was like hot shit because I was oh, fucking 13 years old reading Stephen King. I read that and I was like, oh my God, I'm 33. I still have a nightmare at least once a year about that book. But even in that, there's still these like really genuine moments that like are like these really not saccharine, but like authentic snapshots of childhood. Mm. And it go, I mean, Stephen King grew up in the 50s. I grew up in like the late 80s, early 90s. It, I, I, I still felt like he was such a great writer. I still felt I could relate to that. So Stephen King has that like really nice side to him. And then you have like Steven Spielberg, who people tend to forget he directed Jaws. 
people tend to forget that the scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind where the little boy gets taken is fucking terrifying. They also tend to forget that E.T. was originally supposed to be a horror film. You know what I mean? You look at the shit that Rick Baker was making for that movie originally, and it's like, alright, get out of here. So, what I'm trying to say is both men are capable of doing what the other one's doing, and I think this was a perfect example of a distilled version of that. Like, an ultra-authentic tale of the 80s where there's children in danger, and I think the one thing that it didn't take from Stephen King was that instead of having, like, in It, which this drew really heavily from, all the adults were complete idiots. They were either under control of a monster, or they were just like, yeah, whatever, one of our kids is dead, who cares what happened to the other one? Like, instead of being like that, there's actually some competent adults in this one. You have, like, the teacher, the cop, the parent, um... I mean, for better or worse, even though he was insidious, um, the Papa character. Um, but I, I just, it, the, the thing that felt the best, the best about it was that, like, it didn't feel like it was, like, the, the creators of it were, like, winking and nodding at the audience, like, look what we did, get it. It has, like, a, the, like a, a score in the beginning that sounds like an 80s thing. The title sequence is, like, Steve, can get it? Look how retro we are. Like, it all felt like they were just telling a story, and this just happened to little pieces of it. And it was so just, like, seamless and just perfect that it, like, it was so good it almost hurt. And I was like, when it was over, I was like, that, no more. I want more. Give me more. Like, now. Like, it, just, like, ah, amazing. And, I mean, I kind of almost don't want there to be a second season. Just because I think the first season was so perfect that it's like, how are we going to build upon that? I think I agree, man. Especially about, you know, Stephen King and Steven Spielberg were masters of, like, kind of Capturing the essence of, of childhood emotion. Yeah. Too. I mean, yeah, I know E.T., but but E.T. was still pretty devastating. Yeah. When, when he died, when it's, he died, it's like, heartbreaking. Like, as a kid watching that. Yeah. That was that was real genuine emotion. Watching that for the first time uh, in the theater. Yeah. You know, there's horror there. We know how it ends. It ends well, but still, in the moment, as a kid, when you're not jaded, you don't know what's You don't happen. know, yeah, you're not like they can't kill you. You like, have real, real gem. Yeah. I mm. felt that with, uh, with Stranger Things. Yes. Mm. I want to go on another riff about it because I love it so much. Don't but we, we, no, we should, we should get going into our actual topics for the show, which are not Stranger Things. Okay. But, but we will talk more about it. All, all I will say is that, A, Justin's writing about it. I think it'll be really interesting what he's writing. I hope so. um, and I think B, like I think some people are a little anxious about watching it. Most people have watched at this point. Most people I know have watched it. Yeah. The people who haven't, I think there's a little anxiety because uh, whenever everyone likes something, there's this fear that like, what if I'm the one person who doesn't like it? So yeah. you know, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Whatever, that's fine. But I think the other aspect that I do want to address is this idea that it's too much. That it's like all homage or all nostalgia and that the reason that we all like it is because we're just not over the 80s or something yeah and i i don't think that's real at all like i think no. honestly what i liked about it was that <clears throat> unlike a lot of things we've seen lately that are very drawing on the past or uh references to these older materials this felt like it existed in a real world it didn't feel made up they okay. didn't bend the nature of reality just so it would feel more 80s it was just set in that world yeah and that it felt not just like authentically how the 80s kind of were but authentically in a world in which all of the fiction and imagination of that time can also live so that <clears throat> it feels like 
connected both to the real world and to the imagination, to the things. Because when you, when we're sitting here saying, well, Stephen King and Steven Spielberg, well, these are two men who kind of shaped the imaginative lives of millions of people for yeah. 20 some years more. So the, the, the ether from which stranger things is drawn, I think is some of those shared dreams, some of those shared imaginings that those two men, as well as many others that many other creators that you see sort of reference in that show, they helped create, you know, they helped sort of form that a little bit, but I mean, we could just get into it. I mean, maybe we'll do an episode where we just talk about, the different episodes, you know, different references, and but we very specifically watched two movies, so we should talk about those. Yes. By the way, what movies are we talking about on this episode, okay. which we haven't mentioned yet? Well, before we go into that, um, I just want to, I just want to say, um, I just want to give a shout out to anyone who, at this is hardcore, picked up a flyer. If you're listening to this, thank you very much. Or anyone who picked up a flyer at Monster Mania yesterday, thank you very much. Um, it was cool doing those interviews with this is hard with you guys. Yeah. It was a blast. So if you're listening to this and you, you shot the shit there for a minute, it meant the world. Um, so yeah, now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. The movies we were watching today, the theme of this is religious horror. And I didn't want to pick two movies. Like when people think religious horror, you think like The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, something like that. And I'll be kind of tempted. We almost went with The Exorcist 3. Yes, we um, did almost do that. And we ended up not... The movies we're watching are uh, 2015's Baskin and 1987's Prince of Darkness. Um, and the reason I didn't pick like the classic movies that are about religious horror are because I don't mind religious... I love The Exorcist. I love, the, I love all those movies. But even as a kid, I remember watching... like, And my love of the Omen franchise has been well documented. It baffles Liam to no end. And I, I love it. But what, every time it comes up, I get mad. Yeah, but okay. But I'm going to say something that's like a legitimate. It, it's like a legitimate from like a philosophical and theological viewpoint. I never understood in religious heart, even in like The Exorcist, which is the movie I love, and The Omen. Like Sam Neill at the end of The Omen three, and he's just like he thinks he's going to win. It's like no, you you lost. You're going against God. You can't win. There's no point, and there's no point in this conflict. I'm not buying it. Like you're going to die. You're going to lose. And it was the same with like The Exorcist. It was like. Yeah, it was terrific this, this little girl was saying all this stuff, but, like, again, even when I was a kid, it was just sort of like, just throw holy, holy water on It's the devil. Like, he, you, you, you have God at your back. Like, you can't lose. So, in other words, uh, the way that a certain kind of Christian-influenced religious horror, if it embraces fully the narrative of that religion, some of the stakes go down because you're kind of thinking, well, every, every aspect of this narrative says there's a clear winner. Well, I'm, and just the saying, clear I'm just saying. I'm just saying. As a child who was raised, you, it, they didn't connect with you as much. Exactly. You know, I, I was raised in the United Church of Christ, which is a very clear cut. You know, God is good, the devil's bad. Uh, God loves you no matter what. He's always there. And he's always going to win. So don't worry about it. When I would watch these movies, I would be like, yes, they are scary. There is some scary imagery, but like, and then like the scene at the end of Rosemary's Baby when they're just like, "Hail Satan! He lives in me!" and it's like. Yeah, but you're still going to get your ass kicked in the end, man. Like, you can't win. Like, I'm not afraid of you. Like, That's so interesting. I've never heard anyone express this before, and I, I find it a really interesting perspective. But that, I mean, that, that, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's just like, it, it's, it's why, like, I, I don't know. But, so that's why, that's why those movies, while I really like them, I've always been more fascinated with the, the movies that have like religious, that are like Event Horizon or Hellraiser, which have these sort of, like, 
there's an evil out there that goes beyond the evil of man against man. There's definitely a sense of, like, evil with a capital E that exists outside the, you know, everyday atrocities that we do, do to each other. But it's not like a biblical evil. And we don't know if there's a God. We just know that there's something evil out there. So that's kind of what I wanted to explore with the movies that we picked. Which is interesting because I don't even know if they fit into that that well. But I would say Prince of Darkness does. Yeah, I I, I actually am a... Well, we'll get into it. I'm yeah. of the opinion that Prince of Darkness is actually about science and religious. Just a side note. We'll talk about that because... <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I have to agree. Uh, Prince of Darkness has some of those themes that you're describing. Yeah. The evil mm-hmm. beyond. Yeah, I mean, because it's like... Okay, so let's let's, that let's like, pause. Let's, let's, let's jump into Prince of Darkness then. That's what we're going to do next. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, join us. Anyone in close proximity has the same dream. What is it? A secret that can no longer be kept. It started a month ago. What started? A change in the earth and the sky. His power. There's a weird locking mechanism. Looks like it can only be opened from the inside. A life form is growing out of prebiotic fluid. It's not winding down into disorder. It's self-organizing. It's becoming something. What? prebiotic fluid. It is not winding down into disorder. It is self-organizing into the shape of fear. The most evil force man has ever known is awakening. Master of terror and suspense, John Carpenter brings you Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Don't see it alone. This is the shape of fear. This is the color of hell. What is it? It is a secret that can no longer be kept. There is evil. It is real. Master of terror and suspense, John Carpenter brings you Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Don't see it alone. And we're back. And we are now discussing 1987's Prince of Darkness, which is, in my humble opinion, one of John Carpenter's most underrated films. I think it was underrated, yeah. I would say I would say it was underrated along with films like Ghost of Mars, Ward, 
vampires. Interestingly, I feel like I've actually watched Prince of Darkness more often than some of my favorite Carpenter films because it was on TV more. Yeah, I, I felt I, like it played a lot on like TBS, USA, what's, whatever. What's weird about that movie is I saw that when I was really little, and this was before. Like now, you can just hit a button and it'll tell you what you're watching. Like you're like, oh, cool. This was like I I remember the scene with uh, at the end when the the girl gets um, when she's like reaching into the mirror and it, like horrible clawed him, and I was like watching this like what am I watching? Like, what? And I couldn't just like hit him for like Prince of Darkness, so I had no idea what I was watching. And for that, I was maybe seven or eight when that happened. And then years later, when I was like 18 or 19, I was out at Circuit City and I was just like going to the movies and it was like, oh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. And I was like, oh, sorry, I've never heard of this before. And I got it and I went home and watching it. And I'm like, something about this seems like really familiar. I couldn't quite place it. And that scene came up and I was like, that seems, that is what I saw when I was a little kid. Yes, I finally found that movie. You know what I find the most awesome about that? Flying DVD at Circuit City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I used to get DVDs at yeah, Circuit City. That was a, that was a place. Circuit City. Uh, I, I, there was like a uh, like you would go on a trip. Like I would go on a thing where I'd be like, let's go to Circuit City. Okay, now let's go to um, Walmart or go to Clover or, or go Sam Goody. Yeah. Sam Goody. Yeah, I don't. You know, nothing was ever cheap at Sam Goody. No, no, but I mean, it was it was there. Like yeah. it was. Felt like Sam Good. It felt like every music store, all the DVD prices were always expensive. Whereas yeah. like department stores, like as soon as Target opened, it was like okay, let's go to Target. Yeah, because Target has like from day one, Target was like, why do we have all these movies? Make them five bucks. Like <laughs> yeah, it would yeah. be constantly. You would just go in and be like, oh, all these DVDs are no money. I remember in college specifically buying so many DVDs, and and then in, continuing on into seminary. When I was in seminary, it was like, oh, all these are only eight dollars. I guess I'll get. 10 like yeah, why yeah. am i doing that i don't know yeah. and then i really cleaned up when the when the home video market crashed oh, every blockbuster went out of business oh, fuck you blockbuster yeah. these are all mine now yeah <laughs> all right let's go let's go back so, let's, let's start with a basic so what do we think of prince of darkness well, before we get into some of the issues so prince of darkness for those of you unfamiliar i think it's about like this priest dies there's something in the basement it's like a tank and it contains a liquid that these like graduate PhD students are, who were assigned to find out what it is, they find out that it's sentient. They find out that it's the anti-god. There's a lot of like a lot of like quantum physics techno battle thrown around, and I think it, they, they just say like, "Oh, Jesus was an alien." Like, okay, there's all some time travel stuff in there. It has been like John Carpenter has said, like he made three movies about the end of the world, it was like the thing in the mouth of madness, and this one. Were his apocalypse trilogy. Um, I I'll be honest, it's not like I think it's underrated in the sense that like I do think it's a good movie. And it doesn't get enough credit, but at the same time, it's not a movie I like as much as like The Thing mm. or my new friend Carp is going to yell at me about this, but not as much as, as I like Vampires. Oh yeah, Carp <clears throat> hates that movie. Yeah, Carp hates Carp Vampires. Hates that movie. Um, no, but it's like, it, it's just like, I mean, it's got a great soundtrack. Prince of Darkness, Prince of Darkness has an amazing soundtrack. But it doesn't, it doesn't stick with you as much as some of Carpenter's other films. I mean, it's got a lot of good ideas and a lot of interesting, it's got some really cool shots. Like, there's the one shot where the one character gets, like, killed by, like, a homeless person. 
and it's like a long shot of the character standing here and the homeless person just running across the street. It's Alice Cooper. People can't see your body work right now. Uh, well, I, I know. I'm saying like, so, okay. You literally did it here yeah, <laughs> physically, and, yeah. and I'm like, no one knows yeah. what here means. So there's like, uh, oh, God damn it, Liam. <laughs> and so there, but it, it, it's, it's, We're on the radio. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, we are, yeah. They can't see me. <laughs> With the uh, garden shoot. Yes, yes, yes, yes. That's not Alice Cooper, by the way. Yeah. It's not? No. no, it's the woman. It's the woman. Yes, yes, yes. It's the woman. Alice Cooper has the weird bike thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a bike. He just kills a guy with a yeah. bike. It's like, well, it's. I guess it's weird because it's like the part of the frame and a wheel. So that when he puts the frame through the guy from Revenge of the Nerds and the dude falls over, <laughs> he's just like on the wheel. Yeah. The, with, Justin's laughing, but he really is the guy from Revenge of the Nerds. No, no, no. I, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I guess what, what makes what makes this movie religious is that they talk a lot about they they try to take the concept of God and the devil, good and evil. They try to take it out of like a theological realm, the metaphysical realm, and they try to quantify it through quantum physics. Sure, it reaches for great heights, and I don't think it falls entirely short. Mm. But I think it, I, I think it tried to be too lofty in its aspirations. Mm. There's a lot of techno battle in that movie. Mm. A lot, a lot, and you know what? And and sometimes like. Almost, almost. I don't want to say annoyingly so, but but there's like threats of evil, and and they're running for their life. And you think the normal conversation they would have, somebody's out to get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is replaced by discussion of theology and quantum physics. Yeah, like like even in the midst of uh, sure imminent doom and danger, they kind of stop to talk about. Yeah, there's a, there's like the one scene where like it's like one of the students has been infected. They're getting these readings that they can't explain. They should be genuinely afraid that some horrifying shit's about to go down. And instead, they're like, well, it says here that the, the God sent his son down, an extraterrestrial, that you call him Jesus. And then his followers, they couldn't translate because our technology didn't go very well. So they're sending these messages back in time through us. And it's like, what the fuck does that, any of this have to do with the thing in the basement? Like, but it, it yeah, it's just like, in, instead of like being like, okay, there's a threat, there's this thing we don't understand. There is a horde of homeless people outside who are trying to kill us. There's a thing in the basement that's trying to kill us. You there with the computer, tell us something. And then she'll, you know, like, I think you even said how, like, the girl was like, I'm translating these texts. And she has one book open and she's just, like, looking and she types and she looks. And she's like, that's not how that works. Like, that's, that's not how you translate things. Like, just, like Greek, Aramaic. You know, yeah. All these yeah. kind of Hebrew, all these kind of languages, just like that. Yeah. You just look at it and then you just know what it is. And then you just type it. Albert, what, what you, I remember when we talked about this before you, uh, you coming on the show. Yeah. I remember you were saying it was one of your, yeah. yeah, it was, you were like, it was one of your lesser, it's not. So let me just tell you. Go like, ahead, go um, ahead, go ahead. Just real, real brief, because I want to hear what you guys think, but I saw this movie in the theater. Sure. I was 14 years old. Okay. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what what is this movie about? Yeah. Now, why did I go see it? Of course, John Carpenter, because I knew him from Halloween. Yeah. And I knew Donald Pleasance was in it. And I knew, of course, Alice Cooper was in it. So those were my drawings. Selling. Those are selling points. Yeah, yeah, film, film when I was 14 years old. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking, well, what is this movie about? What is this even that I'm watching? There was no... Uh, so my frame of reference for 14, for horror, you have you have very visible monsters. Yeah. You have a Michael Myers, you have a, a Freddy Krueger, you have a, a Jason. But in this movie, they really they really take a lot of time trying to explain what this evil is. Yeah. In fact, they don't even really know what the 
what the evil is. They're kind of grappling. It's almost like the it's it's almost like the evil is like a MacGuffin that isn't really you know what I mean. Like it's not doing anything. It's just right. all the action revolves around it, but they don't really tie it in together. Mm-hmm. So I could not grasp it because it was way too abstract for me at 14 years old. So I kind of just sort of never really went back to it until you invited me to come and join you guys. And I've watched it about two times since then. And it is really gone. Yeah, I thought it would. Yeah. I 100% thought it would. Yeah. That like makes me really happy. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about what what is different for you now than it was when you were 14. I mean, you kind of said a little bit, but a little because bit. Because the, the concepts, as, as you're saying, that, that John Carpenter is reaching for are really out there. Yeah. Uh, really, really abstract. And it's and it's fun to, to think about, uh, uh, to kind of wrestle with some of the things he's talking about. Yeah. Listen, I read a... I read a uh, uh, an article on on Dan Geek. Can we refer to other people's work here? Yeah, I don't care. Go ahead. Yeah, that's I great. I didn't really get to read it in detail, but he was talking. I mean, those guys are assholes. But no, I'm just kidding. I have no problem with them. <laughs> that was a good article. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was talking about the apocalyptic trilogy and talking sure. about the thing being really the the destruction of the individual self. Okay. And then Prince of Darkness being the destruction of, of God. And then in the mouth of madness being destruction of, of uh, reality. Okay. Okay. And uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting, you know, uh, interpretation of, of those three films. Yeah. Um, and not unlike some things that you might have learned in basic uh, Western civ history of Western thought. You know, uh, Freud. Yeah, definitely. Kind of had. Had uh, the suspicion of the self. You can't really, because there's this consciousness yeah. that you can't really uh, completely know. Sure. Uh, in, in in a lot of biblical studies and results of all of the the uh, uh, advancements in scientific technology and higher criticism, there was uh, there was a suspicion to our uh, precious religious kind of stories. Yeah. Uh, and and even even the um, uh, quantum physics sort of sort of casting suspicion on what we know of reality. So I think he he was brilliant to bring a lot of these um, movements in Western thought yeah. into these type of, of films. Uh, for me, Prince of Darkness is not really the destruction of, of God. Sure. That, uh, like this writer had, had suggested in this article, to me, Prince of Darkness is, is the destruction of how we order, how we, how we, uh, uh, order reality. And, and that's why I think there's, there's this combination of, I don't see a movie as science versus religion. It's just, mm-hmm. This is a threat to religion and science. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the things that Victor Wong talks about, and it's like a very like I think who made the joke that it's like a it's a very very very dumbed down explanation of quantum physics. How he's like, right. you know, on a large scale, there's certainty and this that the other thing, and then he says, but on the micro, microcosmic scale, like that all goes out the window. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what make that that is there is a certain very vague horror with on a very basic level there being no certainty. Like, I mean, I know if I throw this cup across the room, it's going to land over there. That's what happened. That's a terrible example of certainty. <laughs> the sun's going to come up tomorrow. That's a good, you know, if I jump in the air, I'm coming back down. But then, like, the idea that there might be a realm in everyday life where that certainty doesn't exist, that's scary in a very basic way. 
Right. But I didn't get, surely didn't get that as a 14. Yeah, as a 14 year old kid, but, you're not like... But as an adult, you're like, wow, yeah, this yeah. is really frightening. Yeah. But this, uh, but this uh, anti-matter world, yeah. I, this is how I describe it, is breaking into our uh, perceived reality. And that uh, the horror of, of the God that you think it orders, whatever you want to call the order to this reality, uh, the supreme being, whatever, is doesn't exist in this reality. Exists in the anti matter world, and it's gonna fuck you up. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. I fucking love this movie. It's really good. I mean, it's funny because even just a little bit where you're like, I really like it. You know, it's not like higher carpenter for me. There's like a part of it's like, fuck you, Justin. I'm just saying, man. It's no Ghost of Mars World War. (laughs) That makes me want to fight. Hey, I said it once, but I slipped one by, by you before, and I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna keep doing that same way I can get by you. The Ghost of Mars references and the word <coughs> that John Carpenter would be ashamed of himself for making that movie. No, it's true. Ghost but, of Mars. Keep talking, so I don't have to talk about Ghost of Mars. Um, but Albert, what you're saying, I think, makes a lot of sense. That, and I've heard other people say this: that the movie's about is somehow like an anti-religious movie, and I think you know that it's about like. Uh, taking apart conceptions of God and, and, and taking apart religion. But for me, it really, it's a pretty big assumption in order for this, this is just my feeling in order for this movie to be seen as a direct critique of religion, you would have to assume a lot about John Carpenter, right? Yeah. I kind of tend to assume the opposite. That is that John Carpenter went in making this movie Sure, with the general religious background that most Americans of his age have, but not assuming any of it's real. And that, in fact, what the movie does, strangely, is say, like, man, here we are dealing with quantum physics, this higher level of science. And at this higher level of science, all of a sudden, something vaguely religious, like, kind of reasserts itself. There's all, there's this other mythology coming on. There's this other thing going on. So that it, in another, it, in a way, for me, what I found it interesting as a kid, and as a kid who wasn't religious at all, was the opposite reaction was not that like, Oh, this is a Carpenter movie where he's critiquing religion. It was like, wow. in this movie that has a lot of science, suddenly religion is still somehow relevant. Even if it's this other secret shadow religion that we don't know about, even if it's like, well, what was really going on is this, but we didn't know for me, for my young self, that was already more than I had space in my life. For. Like for me, it was just the science and the fact that, wait, science, there's all these scientists there and they're just like starting to get convinced about this devil thing in the basement. That's fucking frightening for me. And and it honestly is my bias with a lot of these. There are a lot of these films and I feel like this movie's outside of that, but in a lot of films that deal with religion in the horror genre, there's this feeling of like there's all these rational, skeptical people and they've sort of written off religion and then therefore some evil is able to assert itself, yeah. you know? And you could read those movies as cautionary tales, but in order to read them that way, you're assuming the director or the creator of the movie is, is religious. So that's yeah. like, not this movie at all. No, no, no. But even in those movies, I don't think that's what they are. I think that's wrong. I think what they represent is an inner anxiety, which is not an anxiety that religion is actually true because very few of those movies, with the exception of The Exorcist, were made by people who had any religious inclinations. The inner fear is that even as scientific people, we're not completely rational. So that this thing that we've rejected as irrational still haunts us, that we can't get away from it. 
that obviously being rational hasn't robbed us of irrationality. There's still some chaotic aspects of the universe. What's interesting, I think, about this movie is that Carpenter manages to get to this quantum physics thing, this thing of like, there is no order, and still insert this threat that underneath that chaos is a sentient sort of thing going on. And that what is really interesting to me about Prince of Darkness really gets under my skin is not just the plot of it, but the setting. We're in this decrepit secret church. All these scientists have all their science equipment. Doesn't mean shit. Yeah. Creepy. Like even the, the sorts of things that happen because they're not right. You know, the exorcist is gross. But there's something about the exorcist that, like, makes sense for me. Like, the things that happen to her are the things I would expect. But, like, when the dude's made of bugs, what the fuck is that? Yeah, it's, the, a, it's a movie filled with scientists and rationality, and it remains completely rational. Every scare doesn't make fucking sense. Yeah. When the dude cuts his throat with a piece of wood, why did he do that? Yeah. I don't even know why he did that in the movie. Like, those, it, there's so much in it that just refuses to conform. And granted, there's parts we can critique. Again, I think the translation part is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um, even that's the even because you have a background, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even, even the like even the like religious parts of it, like every time Donald Pleasant speaks, it seems unnecessary. <laughs> like that, if you took Donald Pleasant's character out, it the whole insane. movie would work. There'd it would happy, work. There'd be a happy ending without Donald Pleasant. Because <laughs> <laughs> she'd come back out of the mirror. Yes. Yes. But I, I will say the thing that uh, people play down sometimes is this dream aspect. I really think the thing where they keep having the dream is actually the most brilliant part of the movie. Yes. Because the idea, this is what makes it still an apocalyptic movie. The idea is that the reason they keep getting this one message, the message, the thing I take from that is that that's the moment, right? The message they're getting is from a future that ends. Yeah. And the future is saying, this horrible thing is happening and we think you can stop it. So we're going to keep sending this message, hoping that in the past you will change this thing yeah. so that we do not die. And what is so bleak about the ending that has gotten me, even even when I, when I first saw the movie, I was not 14, but I was not that much older than that. And uh, what always stuck with me were how creepy most of the movie was, even if I didn't understand everything that was going on. But the ending always got to me because the ending shows that the dream changes only slightly. Yeah, which means that they're still they stay, but change. It's like so. It's like you can change the past. The future's so fucked up that you can even change the past, and all you do is change the flavor of your destruction. Mm-hmm. That the destruction's going to happen no matter what. But well, because of all that work and all that effort, we were able to change the silhouette so that now it's a, a lady instead of a dude coming out from the hellish realm. Yeah, that to me, like something wait, about wait, that so was so I was, dark. I was, I always thought uh, you're saying that in, in the dream initially was a was a dude. Yeah, it's you like a guy in a. It, the, well, the assumption is that this is the coming of the Dark Lord, right? And it's always a taller figure with a big robe, and the haircut looks male to me. Could be female, it, no, but it, it looks it has a ma- it, it, ha- it looks kind of vaguely masculine. The silhouette, yeah. but even if it's not masculine, the silhouette in the last dream is different. It's the woman who went into the mirror. Yeah. She's coming out. But but the fact that it's still a panicked message from the future says to me that, okay, well, we've replaced 
one Dark Lord with a different Dark Lord. But you don't send a message back because you're like, oh, hey, guys, your friend, your friend who was trapped in the mirror, now she's out. And now yeah. she wants to be your friend. So we're sending this message to the past to let you know. Like, all it says to me is that, like, this continuing feeling of, like, incoming due. You it, know? It, it, it, it's sort of – and I'm, what I'm about to say is going to sound like I'm making a joke right now, but I'm 100% serious about this. It's the one thing that even when I was a little kid and I saw Terminator 2 for the first time that kept me from being like, everything's going to be okay. I was still just like, no. You know what I mean? Like, John Connor didn't wink out of existence. Like, we're still heading towards that same future. We might have taken a couple side stops and taken it to Earth, but we're still heading towards that, you know, annihilation. And that's what, there is like a, there is like that, that didn't even dawn on me, like how it was like the same, the same dream. And, do you think, like, when, when they were, was that, do you think, and this is, like, such a subtle thing, but I'm going to ask you, it just hit me. The dream that they're seeing, is that someone recording the enemy coming out of the church? And yes. Setting, okay, so that, that that's a person recording it saying, like, look at this, this is what's going to happen if you don't stop it. Well, and the, they said, the writing, the dream has been happening since this all started yeah. thousands of years ago. So the same message has been coming from the future to the whole past. Anyone who's near the object gets the same message okay. from the future in which they're saying, SOS, this is happening. It's the end of the world. Please stop it. And for thousands of years, everyone has a dream and goes, oh, that's weird. It's yeah. a weird dream. See, I thought the figure was actually not a, an ominous figure. I thought it was... Uh, I, I must that's that's what I thought. See, yeah. I thought it was... No. I thought that was the individual that was coming to try to warn us. If you hear what the person is saying in the message... It sounds like a warning. They're saying this is not a dream. And they're behind the fence and they're filming this thing coming out of the building. To me, again, my assumption is that the person holding the camera is the one sending the message, not the person being filmed. I want to dissect this a little more. So you think it was that, that that's sort of like almost like. No, because I'm just totally ignorant. Let's just just keep like it, no. It, it's, the, the, again, we can rewatch it, and I we this is a great up. Whenever we have weird disagreements, we always ask uh, listeners to chime in. So please comment on the website, comment on our Facebook, chime in with this. But my feeling now, this is we watch it again. This is the tenth time I probably watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. And my feeling since the first time I watched this movie is that the dream is a warning from the future, and that. The only reason you keep sending the same warning over and over again is because you don't get an opportunity to send another thing. That's it. What we're seeing is the last moment of the entire world. That that's what that dream, that this guy is filming it. That that guy's filming it being like, well, here we are at the end of the world. So if anyone's getting this, hopefully you can stop what's happening. I've never thought of that before. That's like, because I I just thought it was like some, some advanced civilization in the future. Who was they were just being like cryptic. Like I didn't take it literally as like this is a person panicking, watching the end of the world walk out of this church. Well that's why they're saying like we don't have the technology to send this to you any other way but in your dreams. This is all we have. This is all we can do for you is send you this message. And then when, when Donald Pleasant says, Yeah, they've been having that dream for thousands of years, that says to me like, Well that means they've been sending the same it's the same dream. You they've just been sending the same SOS from the future to the past. And that it's makes, again. It's, I say the same thing. It's you know. It's one moment. Yeah. But they've they send it over the whole path. So anyone who's near the object has the dream, and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help anything. But what's interesting is is at the end when he has the dream, right. he's not anywhere near the object. Right, and that's also what's weird is that 
I I assume that that still that means that nothing was solved. But I think it's also ambiguous that Carpenter. It here's what the difference is: the end of Prince of Darkness, right? He goes to touch the mirror, and then nothing happens. If you watch the trailers, in the original ending, something comes to the mirror. Really? Which leaves it more ambiguous. And they left it in the trailers, and it's not in the movie. Really? Interesting. We don't know. He doesn't actually touch the mirror. No. Literally, he just goes it, and then that's it. But in multiple Prince of Darkness trailers, someone comes to the mirror. Oh, shit. Yeah. Not all of them, but a bunch of trailers. Because yeah, I watched yeah. a few on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. To uh, think about using for the show. And uh, wow. So I mean, again, I uh, let's let's just pull back a little bit. I think I don't know if I can. I'm still like taking this all in. <laughs> but I, I want to relate this then back to what you were saying a little bit. I still don't think, though, if we think of religious horror as being horror that is a. This is the ways I think of religious horror. It's either informed by theology, which I think any horror that's too informed by theology will eventually run into the idea that, if it's Christian at least, that the story is that God wins. So at some point, no matter what is happening to you, I could see what you're saying that as a kid, yeah, yeah. you have this thing where you're like, yeah, but you can't win. I mean, yeah. especially the, the apocalyptic ones, because the whole apocalypse story in scripture is so specific like yeah a naval one rises but then god wins that's the whole story and so it's like why affirm one part without affirming the other it's the same way i always felt it's the same thing like when you look at like uh certain kinds of satanic metal no i don't even know why are you cheering for the losing team well yeah in, in the sense of like i get if you are taking on this viewpoint because you're specifically in the church of satan not related to christianity yeah, yeah. or because you see it as a metaphor for deconstructing the church but if you're really buying into the scriptural idea then you're just affirming the viewpoint you're just choosing a different team but you're still affirming this mythology i, I remember reading an interview with uh glenn benton from dsi yeah i was like way too young to read an interview with glenn benton from dsi yeah and he was like they were like so are you like an actual like are you like you're like the church of satan he's like no i'm an actual like i worship satan and i remember thinking like that's like going to a Harlem Globetrotters game. Like, I don't know, guys. I think the Generals might pull one out of here. I think they might take it. Let's put a lot of money on them. Like, oh, dude, like, you're going to lose. Like, that's... I, I completely buy into the idea of you're just accepting the symbolism because you are critiquing religion, and specifically Christianity itself. Yes. But to choose the team... So let's put that aside. There's also religious horror that I was kind of describing, which is like, we live in a rational world. As rational people, we've mostly decided that religion is at, is at best helpful mythology, but it do, isn't real. And then all of a sudden you're in a world where suddenly it's real and what yeah, the yeah. fuck do we do? Oh, no. But even then, you know, whatever. And then there's a religious horror that's just informed by metaphysics. And I think, honestly, even though they talk about God so much, I think Hellraiser is a good example of that. Hellraiser is really just about the metaphysical mythology of hell, yes. it doesn't really, all the other stuff about religion doesn't necessarily matter as much, especially in some of the sequels and things like that. Uh, with Prince of Darkness, I still think, and this is, I think, a, a little bit of disagreement with you guys, is the compelling thing here is the science aspect. The idea that, you know, we're going to go into this into this space in which something religious is happening. But because we're scientists, we're going to study it, we're going to figure it out, we're going to explain it. And then even in the midst of the explanation, where we're all being very smart, it doesn't fucking matter because yeah. we're being killed. 
it, that feels like more about science to me than it is about religion, which isn't to say the movie isn't religious at all, but like we picked it because I love it. And even when we talked about it, I was like, yeah, it's a great option. But as we were watching it, I thought, I don't feel any anxiety. There's, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of times religious horror is imbued with the anxiety of the filmmaker about religion. It's also religious horror a lot of times tends to be like a morality tale. Like Event Horizon, a lot of the conflict comes from like the ship fucking with the characters' anxieties about like Lawrence Fishburne, the guy he left behind to die, Samuel's wife, the one doctor has a son she left behind. Even like, I mean, even Hellraiser, the first two, I mean, they're kind of like, yeah, like devils to some angels or demons to some angels to others. Uh, I know it gets trashed a lot because it's not one of the first four movies, but I think Hellraiser 5 is a great example of, like, it's, uh, Inferno is a good movie. It's a, like a morality tale. It's about, like, it, it's a, it, it has the, that, that, that conflict. It's not a very, like, heavenly hell movie. It's more just like, this is how you've lived your life. This is what you've made for yourself. You are living with the consequences of what you did. And everything that happens is because of what you did. And then, because the guy's like an awful person who can't change, he suffers the consequences. Hmm. Like, Prince of Darkness doesn't have that. Hmm. Prince of Darkness, I would say, is only like a religious movie in the sense that Victor Wong comes on and says stuff about the anti-god, Donald Pleasance mumbles, and he's a priest, and it's in a church. Every Donald Pleasant's line just makes me laugh just thinking about it. But what Albert, were you going to say? I was going to say that, that I wonder, you know, that here listening to the discussion also probably probably hinges on how you define religion. Right, true, yeah, true, yeah, true, yeah. true, true, true. So, you know, like I'm, I'm looking at it. So I don't think uh, Prince of Darkness is an anti-religious movie at, at Sure, at all. not at all. But I think, actually, what I've come to appreciate about this movie is John Carpenter says, I'm going to fuck with you both. I'm going to fuck with the religious. Yeah. And I'm going to fuck with the scientists. Yeah. I'm going to fuck with the atheists. Everybody. Because your perception of reality is all wrong. So mm. that mm-hmm. is, is, is, is scary. Because we live in this, you know, uh, people have this dichotomy. You're either religious or you're, you're a scientist or you're anti-religious. But I think most people go their day-to-day lives with a combination of both. This is how they, this is how they order reality, their reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and John Carpenter just threatened this movie, you know, says there's a, there's a force that will threaten uh, all of this. So, so I'm working now on the perception that, that religion is whatever you, whatever construct you have to make sense of, of the world. I mean, I do think it's a, it, in, in that sense, it actually makes me think of it as like almost like a new age horror movie in that there's a there's a certain kind of perspective that says like there's an underlying spirituality. And when you try to make too much sense of it, either through strict uh, empiricism in science or either through or through strict religious idea that you miss the nuance of what's going on. And in this movie, both Wong, who technically isn't that scientific. I mean, let's be fair. Quantum science is more like philosophy in a lot yes, of ways. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, he's kind of a philosopher. And then you've got Donald Pleasant's the fucking drunken priest. Yeah. And they sort of meet in the middle where they realize the reality is a little more squishy than either one of their traditions, you know. Although, again, it still fits more with, with, with Wong's viewpoint than with Donald Pleasant's viewpoint, but whatever. Um, the point being, though, is that there's this – the reality we're in is a little more difficult, a little more gray – and that can get you. 
Like that, that, that, it, that what is actually underneath could actually fuck you up a little bit. Yeah. And in the end, I mean, I think what he's doing is not as much philosophical as it is artistic. Hey, let's just squish a bunch of genres together that people don't think fit so that he makes a movie with science, with religion, and with just like weird fucked up. I mean, the science is actually probably less these scientists who like you see doing very few scientific things and more this like kind of sci-fi futuristic aspect of like the, the dream coming back and yeah. whatever. But, but even the idea of this, like that there's a substance there and there's like a secret sort of history going on. There's a lot of like interesting themes in that, but honestly the whole movie, it works for me. at such like a visceral aesthetic level that I find myself thinking more about, the images, even though they're such big ideas. Like when you were saying like, it reaches so high for these ideas. The way I absorb that is I kind of start to be like, I don't care what they're talking about. Like, honestly, like the bigger ideas, it, it points towards them. But really what I find so affecting is like the gritty details, like the weird things, like the dude who breaks, whose neck gets broken, but he still comes back to life. And then he just holds his head at a weird angle while he's attacking people. That dude fucks me up. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. Like even just like the puking, the goo and the, the, the, the, the liquid, you know, yeah, like yeah. that's how they, that, that shit fucked me up too. Like just little details like that just got to me in a way that the overarching metaphysics started to like not matter. They started to be like, okay, yeah, there's another God and Jesus is like this thing, hey, this guy and he's trying to tell them and there's a secret. Uh, all that just starts to feel like, yeah, yada, yada, yada. Let's talk about Alice Cooper. Let's talk about the lady with the garden I, shears. I, I will That's say what I, the one creepy thing about, about the, the, the homeless is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. But I remember every time I watched it, I, I get like a little chill is how they start doing, like, creepy things. And someone has this moment of insight where they're just like, it's not natural. They shouldn't be doing this. And someone else says... They're it's, standing for they're hours. Just, yeah, yeah. Standing for hours. Yeah. Say it in your microphone yeah. over. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Get into the conversation. Yeah. No, they're, totally. They're standing there for hours. Yeah. And then right. someone says, like, oh, it's it's a condition of schizophrenia. It's their brains that are stuck on this, like, repeat ritual. Sure. That is so creepy. Yeah. Like, that's really creepy. I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's not the most convincing. I mean, as a, in my line of work, I definitely see more tragically schizophrenic people who don't get the treatment they need. And it's not nearly as, like, horror movie scary. But it's still just that simple, because they just rush it off. They're just like, no, it's their brain. They're not right, and I'm still just like, oh my god, like that's such a, I don't know, that that's just like a terrifying thing to uh to be involved in is like, like you're st it's like a record stuck in a groove, and then like on top, of it, it's it's almost like, it's almost like, it, it, it's just sort of like they didn't even need, I, I, like they didn't, it's like they didn't even need the the the uh, like that alone, that that that that sort of thing. Is like horrific enough on its own, even without like this like external evil, yeah. You know, influencing them It's just like no. What it was was how they're all doing the same thing at the same time, and someone says that's not natural because their brains don't work like that. They're not like they don't sync with each other. That's what that that's what's that's what's creepy. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I want to make sure we have time to talk about our other movie so, too. Let me just say, so uh, let's like, do some final thoughts. I just I find myself uh, finding like the complete opposite of what you said. Oh, that's interesting. Not, I'm not as I was not as much impressed by the visuals of Prince of Darkness, except mm. for that fantastic 
you know, basement scene with uh, crucifixes and the yeah, it's you know, so it's crazy, fantastic, beautiful. Um, but to me, the horror is in is in their discussions. Huh, that's so interesting. It's so the part I don't that's care where about. The horror is for me, hmm. and it's almost like when I watch the movie, it's like it's almost like John Carpenter was saying to me like. This, we think about this. This is really frightening. Yeah, yeah. And then I just got to show you a bunch of other shit and <laughs> stab and stuff because you know this is what people pay to see. Movie, but the yeah. real horror is is is the discussions. That's so interesting to me. Yeah. I I found the discussions so not compelling. Really? At all? I mean, no. like I, I I feel I I see. I I'll meet you halfway and say I understand where you're coming from. I think it gets a little too bogged down in the techno babble. But I understand where you're coming from in, in, in that, you know, people who are struggling with to understand what's going on and ultimately failing. Because, again, they don't they never con- concrete in a concrete manner explain what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it, it I and maybe John Carpenter thought they did and they just didn't. But I still couldn't tell you. I mean, it was buried there with his period for seven million years. And there's OK, it's back like, all right. And it's still horrific. Like. Well, I mean, the, the goo is the son of the devil, basically. The anti-god. The anti-god. Not the devil, the anti-god. That's no, what you're mean. right, you're right. You know what I mean? Like that, it's not the devil, it's the anti-god. Like, and <laughs> Donald Pleasance, this, uh, Jesus was an extraterrestrial. <laughs> well, he's like, and then he's like, at one point he's like, it's just all marketing, we're just trying to sell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's a fine point, but you have no context. Like, it's almost like Donald Pleasance had these really salient lines, but then like, couldn't figure out when he was supposed to say them. So then just a rate of voice is just like, marketing. And you're like, what is that? Why yeah. is that relevant? But at the end of the film, do you sure. think that, that um, you know, one one difference between the scientists and, and, the, and Donald uh, Pleasance, the priest, is I felt like like Donald Pleasance was not able to assimilate the radical change. Not no, at not at all. Not at all. And, and, and I almost felt like Victor Long and the scientists were a little bit more equipped well, to, to you know deal with this this radical change in reality. I mean, so Donald Pleasance, you know, right. at the end when he's on the structure, he's like, I stopped him. I yeah, stopped yeah, him, yeah. you know. That totally takes credit, but but really, it was the scientists. And he and for the for the most part, Donald Pleasance cowers in a corner like right. a fucking coward. And then, and then he, at the he, he at, at, someone. at one moment, he throws something. Axe. He, he throws an axe, and he's just like, "Well, look, I did it." Yeah. And like, meanwhile, again, he seemingly has no compassion for this woman. He's just condemned to whatever horrible realm. Oh my god! Just doesn't yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. No, I do think I and and again. It doesn't help that this is, for me, not one of Donald Pleasance's stronger performances. I mean, let's just... I, I don't know how you guys feel, but to no, me, no. I'm watching it going like, is this really the guy from Wake and Fright? Because it doesn't feel... It feels like the guy from Wake and Fright's great-grandfather with both Alzheimer's and a drinking problem. Like That's how <laughs> he feels in this movie for but, me. You know, Donald Pleasance has made some shit. No, I know, I know, but he's also made some good ones, and that's, you know, it, regardless, the point being is that it didn't help that I'm already not enjoying his performance, per se, but then that ending, it feels to me like Carpenter saying, like, look at this fucking asshole, huh? Yeah, how can I make the audience hate this guy more? Yeah. I know, he'll condemn a woman to unimaginable suffering and, at, you know, fucking obscene, surreal terror. But then pat himself on the back, like, look what I did. Yeah. I'll say this, 
At least he's not with that guy with the creepy mustache. Yo, mustache dude. That's that guy. And can I just say this too? Like, this is a side note, but it feels like Carpenter's working through some relationship stuff in this movie. Like, there's no need for the mustache guy to say the weird shit he does. The weird, horribly sexist shit. He just keeps saying sexist shit that you're like, this has nothing to do with the plot. Why is this happening? Do you think this uh, is directed at my girl, Adrienne Barbeau? Uh, Oh, I hope not. It could be, though. Regardless, I'm going to say this. I don't know how you guys feel, but... Huge recommendation. If you've never seen yeah, Prince of Darkness, I mean, we've ruined the movie for you, but um, if you've never seen it and uh, you are wondering if you should see it or not, the answer is yes. Absolutely. I think it's great. Uh, does it have some of the payoff of Carpenter's other films? No, it doesn't. It's it's a low-budget film, and I think it wears the low budget. I think you see that it's a low-budget yeah. film. Um, but I, for me, it, it's, a, it's a film with a lot of character, a lot of heart. I think Al, Albert... If you're an ideas person and you are freaked out by this, some of this dialogue, I mean, there are some huge ideas in this movie. For me, though, it's definitely the weird details, like little things that I'm just like, the fuck is that about, man? And maybe, again, maybe it's because I saw it when I was young and it fucked with me. I don't know. But but it's always gotten under my skin. Um, would I put it in my top five or something like that? No. But I do think it's an important Carpenter film. And it's mm-hmm. weird to me, people who... I know who are obsessed with Carpenter and just never seen Prince of Darkness. I'm like, that's what I mean. Oh, you gotta see it. That's like I, when I when I when I when I was out in LA, it was like Prince of Darkness Church, Halloween Neighborhood, and Driving on Mulholland Drive. Like the three, like that's what sticks out. Those are all good. Those are good. Yeah. Those are good examples. Uh, anything else from you guys before we move on to the next movie? No, I'm ready for uh, 2015's All right, we're gonna be talking about 2015's Baskin from Turkey. All right, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Nedir bu? Destek bekliyorlar. İnce ağaç. Oralardan çok hikaye duymuştum var. Nasıl hikayeler lan? Ya şimdi tövbe tövbe gece gece. Bize katılmaya geldiniz. Abi, abi bunlar ne? Biz bu gece buraya çağrıldık. İspartalar hikaye. Hani abi, herkes dikkatli olsun tamam mı? You did it before I could do it. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are back. I'm enjoying a spinach pie that Albert bought us. Thank you. It's very delicious. Cool. I'm not going to eat it on. I'm not going to eat it on there because Dave Janice will have a heart attack. Oh, first of all, Dave Janice does not listen to this podcast. Yes, he does. Does he really? Dave Janice listens to this podcast. I'm going to start eating on the show don't, just to fuck with him. Don't, fuck you. Crazy. Fuck you, Dave. Oh, I love Dave. Dave no, I'm awesome. kidding. I love him too. I'll talk while Justin's trying to swallow water to hide his eating sounds. Okay. So now we're going to talk about Baskin. So I I just want to say, and I I think we're both on the same page about this. We specifically included this movie 
because we wanted to do something not Christian. If you're yes. talking about religious horror, everything's going to be Christian because it's mostly where the film industry is dominated by Western films. Yeah. Western films are dominated by Christianity, obviously. And, uh, and so when we heard about Baskin, it's like, oh, it's a movie from Turkey. It's influenced by Islam. Clearly, you know, if we're going to do a religious horror, we'll do that. And I just want to open with just admitting, for those of you who saw the title of this podcast saw the theme of this podcast rather let's put it that way and saw that we were talking about baskin and said that's weird i don't think of baskin as a particularly religious film we picked it having not seen the movie yeah and i think we picked it hoping it would be maybe more religious than it was it's not that baskin is not religious baskin has no real clear religious imagery to it which is more than you can say. At least for us. Let's yeah. be clear, we're not Tur- I, we're not Turkish people. There may have been some stuff I missed out. Yeah, cultural references to, yeah, that we don't go understand. Under. But um, Prince of Darkness has a lot of, for better or worse, has a lot of religious iconography. Even, again, I know I keep going back to films like Hellraiser and Event Horizon. Even they have, you know, in Hellraiser there's hell, for one. Uh... There's a lot of talk about like angels, demons, uh, you know, leviathans and whatnot. And then in Event Horizon, you have there's the Latin that's being used, which gives it a, a, a tinge sure. of, a, of sure. like archaic religiousness to it. Baskin doesn't really have that. Baskin is more. I would say Baskin is religious in the sense that it's there's this horrific shit happening to these cops, mm. and it's because and the horrific the horrific shit that's happening is directly influenced by how they acted in life they're, they're, it seems as if the film is suggesting that they're bad people yes. and so what's happening to them maybe not as like a direct result of but is at least related to the fact that they are not good people Yeah, I didn't get the sense that they were all bad people no that's true I don't know that they're all bad but at least some of the folks the conversation that they're having I mean even though there's not that much specifically Islamic imagery, imagery in the movie there is this idea that like they probably shouldn't be talking about fucking whores or, you know, like there's a lot of like explicitness to these police officers. But they, but they all don't, but they don't all do that. No, there's the, the, I guess the younger, isn't there like a rookie guy? He seems to be the only one. Everyone says something gross, except, except for the rookie. The, well, the rookie, the rookie, okay. So before we go any further, we should probably just break it down. With yeah, let's explain that. what this story so is. This movie is about, it's five or six cops, it takes place in Turkey, and they get a call to this abandoned building. It's an abandoned police station from, like, the Ottoman days. And they're all immediately like, oh, shit, it's that place. I heard a lot of weird shit about that. What did you hear about that? So there's this immediate sense that some weird shit has gone down there in the past. They go there. Horrific shit starts going down. Like, you know, like like I've said, like, by horrific shit, I mean the missing captain's log for the true event horizon. Horrific shit. Like, I think I saw at one point a guy wrapped in barbed wire suspended from the ceiling... There's, like, people getting, like, flayed. And, like, well, let's be clear. Before that, things start to go wrong before they even leave. We, we meet them and they're at this cafe. And at the cafe, the one guy starts a fight for no reason. With a kid. With, with a, a kid. kid. They're, they're telling very sexually explicit stories in a culture that I don't know supremely well, but I know, you know, the sorts of things that they're doing are not necessarily looked on as, like, normal behavior for your average person. And there's already a sense that things are creepy when they're there. Mm-hmm. And then on their way, they crash this van. 
Uh, they run someone over. Yeah. They then crash this van. And then everything after the van crashes is like nightmarish. Maybe they're in another dimension. Maybe they're all dead. Maybe they're in hell. Maybe not. Maybe this is all a dream. Like, there's so many, like, reality-bending aspects to from that moment on. And to be fair, there's some weird shit that goes on even when they're before that at the cafe. But things don't become completely slippery until the van crashes. And then from the van crash forward... There are multiple times where you're like, oh, this isn't really happening. Wait, is this really There's happening? No way this is, this, is happening. this is not happening. Is this really happening? Like, it's yeah. it's not clear what's happening the whole time. So, that being said, I, I think the... And the tagline for this movie, the American version, was five cops go to hell. Yeah, I think that's right. It was like... Uh, yeah. So, now, when they say they, they go to hell, it's sort of like, you know, we had, we had just mentioned that they kind of suggest that most of these cops aren't very good people. With the exception of the rookie, and I think like the oldest cop who was like the rookie's foster father. I guess that's fair. Yeah, it's the other like, the other three guys tell gross stories, and the one dude starts a fight for no reason. Yeah, um, and draws a dick in the window as they're driving. Yeah, why? That was really that? weird. I that that, that, that threw me for a spin way more than it, <laughs> it should have. Um, so and then so they they get to this building, and then like they start seeing this just like unimaginable, like terrifying shit. Um. The people being tortured, people being mutilated, people being raped, like all this, like just, just, and they're just like, we need to get the fuck out of here right now. They find one of the cops who put the call in, and the guy's like catonic, so they're just like, what the fuck? They find him literally banging his head against the wall, like he's fucking bleeding. Um, which I, I was actually thinking, and I'm not, I'm being serious. The way he had the bump on his head, I don't know if that was a reference to the prayer bump in Islam when they, they, because that's like a, a lot of devout Muslims in older age, they develop like a bump. On their head. Oh, you know so what? Yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah, if yeah. that was like a nod to that or whatever. Um, hmm. But yeah, so then like they, they descend into like the survivors. There's like three of them. No, there's four. Because the one guy gets like... No, it's only... I think it's three in that room. Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, there's four. Because the one guy gets gutted. The other guy gets his eyes cut out. Oh, and yeah. The okay, okay, okay, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, and then just like th- th- there's this like... I think it becomes religious because the father or Papa, whatever. There's a cult leader character that in the in the credits is called Papa. Basically. Who looks like if you remember the video Genesis Land of Confusion with those horrifying pu- puppets. Fuck. He looks like one of those puppets. <laughs> I could not. He does. When I was watching this, I'm going to confess to you right now. When I was watching that, there were a couple times I I, I, I wanted to look away, but I was afraid because I thought I'd be embarrassed because it was that unsettling to me. Yeah. Um. It was great. So, yeah, he was amazing. He's amazing. A, I, I, can we just insert right here? For me, the best part of the movie, oh, like yeah. like stronger Absolutely. than anything else in the movie, made made made his minions look like fucking garbage. Yeah, like before he comes onto the scene, the other sort of creature minion servants, they're kind of creepy, and I'm kind of like, oh, they're doing it all right. Yeah. Once he starts acting. Every time anyone else does something, I'm like, ugh, that guy's ruining it. Yeah, he's totally. ruining it. Like, that one's not as good as him. Like, yeah. he's just so good in that role. But that guy starts talking about, like, um, I think it's when he gets involved that it becomes genuinely religious. And he starts talking about um, looking inside and seeing what's really inside. Like, look inside your heart. And that felt like kind of like, sort of like a Quakerish, like the inner light thing. Mm. Um, but obviously turned on its head because it's not like you're not looking towards God, you're looking, um, and he starts talking about that 
the only hell that we have is the one that we carry around with ourselves. Which again is, I, I guess, I don't know what tradition that's in. What religious tradition that would be like? Mm. I keep wanting to say Calvinist, but I know it's not Calvinist. I know it's mm. not that. Yeah. Um. But then you know, so so it, it's with that character that he he's the one who really drives home the religious and morale you know morality aspect of the movie. Um. And then you know the the one guy. Fuck's a pig. A goat or something? There's a woman with a no, pig's head? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a woman. He fucks a woman. But she's, but she's wearing head. shit on her head, and it's weird. That was so unsettling. I mean, a lot of it's very unsettling. No, but I mean, that was like really like when they like open up the gate, and it's like dark, and then she comes out, and he's crying. Also, he had his eyes gouged out moments before this, so this is like the worst five minutes of this guy's life. Right, right. You know, your eyes get gouged out by an extra from Land of Confusion. And I can fucking worse. Yeah, and then there's this yeah. like, imps chanting, like, oh my god, and um, I think that was like aside from the beginning and the like the very beginning and the very end of this movie, I felt it was very weak. But the one thing that I, I thought, uh. Someone brought it up when I when I, I posted this on Facebook. Someone was like, yeah, you don't... Have I been, I'm going to say it was Stephen Walsh. I don't know. No idea. But they said, like, yeah, you don't show a guy... Or you, you don't show a guy having sex with a woman with a goat's head. And then show her give birth to something. And then not go back to that. What the fuck did she give birth to? Because they, car- they were, like, they, carrying they, it around. With, like, they never clarified what like, happened. They were, like, his minions were just like, oh, my, what's this? Like, ooh, like, and they're very, like, respectful and, like, I don't know. Maybe it was the Antichrist. I don't know what it was. Well, it wouldn't be the Antichrist. It could have been, maybe. That's, like, a Muslim tradition, isn't it? Okay, well, it wouldn't be the Antichrist, though. That would have been a much more effective space work if your yeah, if thing it, made this slurpy yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Justin just gave me the sipping look, but uh, there was no slurp to go yeah. with it. So, no, but I mean, okay, not the Antichrist, but definitely maybe the Great the great Shaitan. Oh, see, the, look at you suddenly reaching into your... I you didn't think I knew that see, word. See, see you reaching into your religious studies 101 yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, getting a little bit more... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but, but, but I mean, you see my point. They, they laid down the groundwork for this because they're telling the guy, like, like while he's you know doing his thing, the the the papa is like, look inside yourself, and you will see the truth, and this, that, the other thing, and and then he just falls over, and a tranquil comes out of his mouth or his eye. It was his eyes or his I don't know. His mouth. Okay. It was his it mouth. Was out yeah. Of his mouth. Yeah. And then they lead this woman to give birth to this thing, and um. Again, this is a slippery reality movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's not clear what's going on, what's going on, what's happening. Um, in that aspect, it's the way that I think a lot of movies have dealt with, like uh, hell. Like it, to, to fall into hell is not to actually have a very solid experience. Like it's what is happening to these people is they want to pull it out from underneath you. And I agree with you. I don't know if it's even worth spoiling it, but the ending is not. No, I don't like the way it ended. I and it it it enforces the intangibleness of the narrative, which I don't think. I think if they had stuck with it, it would have been a little more compelling. But uh, Albert, what did you think of this movie? You you you mentioned so, this to so us. I like but this movie. Uh, I like it for the visuals. The visuals are very compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's where the movie challenged me. Okay, was that that 
uh, I think it challenges, uh, especially perhaps our Western notion of, of hell. So we automatically think hell is a place where you go, you know, if you've done bad things. Sure. So you go to hell because you, you deserve hell. Yeah. So as I'm watching the film, I was I was amazed at how that old sort of uh, narrative sort of inserted itself on my interpretation of the movie. So these guys are cops. They abuse their authority. They tell sick jokes or or bad stories. They know better because they often refer to uh, their their religious schools and so forth. But lots of mentions of imams in their youth. As I really kind of think about it, I think like, well, are they really that bad? Okay, like is that story that he told uh, really true? Yeah. Or is it or is it a made up story? Yeah. So even the abuse of, of power, which is awful, uh, you know, he's he's he's picks a fight with uh, with the restaurateur's uh, son. Uh, but he can't even really like beat up the son gets a few good licks in. Yeah. Yeah, this dude is so a wuss, not, yeah. He's not really that tough. Yeah. Right? So it's I find it hard to believe he's really going around roughing people up like a like a Joe Pesci who he's trying to Sure. <laughs> so so then I think, well, what's scary about this film is that is that they have entered into a hell uh that they don't deserve. Ultimately. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So so uh, I think to me that kind of it kind of messes with that traditional uh, if if we are to take it like a literal descent into into into uh, an actual hell. Okay. And and then it kind of you know I, I hear what the what the cult leader is saying, um, and and hell is is is within us, but it's not true because you know it's pretty fucking awful what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very They're they're there. So. So I have to kind of take the, the cult leader's sort of words with, you know, grain of salt, right? No, yeah, totally. So I think I like Baskin because it challenges uh, our traditional, just like, like Prince of Darkness, sure. bit, our sense of, of, of uh, uh, right and wrong, that, that heinous sort of eat punishment, you, you're going to deserve it. But yeah. These people, to me... Well, to that extent, I wondered when I was watching it. I'm still thinking about it. If it functions more like a fairy tale, anyway, like a like a creepy story. You know what I mean? Like it, it, again, in a religious story, we do tend to imbue a certain sort of like morality thing going on there. And I and while I don't think these dudes are great dudes, I agree. Nothing they did justifies the sort of horrifying things they're going through. It feels more like. A story about how behind the surface at the haunted place, at the scary place, at the place, I mean, it's, there's this use of frogs, there's the gypsies they run into who are totally unsettling. Yeah. There's like a, a, there's a feeling of like they cross over into this other realm and they have an experience and that experience means them ill. But like when I was watching it, what I thought was weird for me a little bit was the, the titling in the sense of like, if you watch the credits, Papa... A cult member so there's like a feeling in which the people who are hurting them are like people in a religious order if it wasn't for that it almost felt like those were super not like i was inclined to read the story of like 
they've fallen into a monster's den, and now monstrous things are happening to them. But and the fact that it's Papa and the cult leaders, it's like, no, this is a tangible experience that's happening in this dimension on Earth. Yeah, it feel, that's what it feels like. It feels yeah. like because of that aspect, as horrible as what all these things are that are happening, they're somehow connected to the real world yeah. in some way. Again, the movie deconstructs that a little bit because reality is... Tan- is, is um, fluid in the movie and it's hard to know what's happening and what's not happening yeah. but at least that moment by giving them those names uh, and the way it was happening it felt kind of real but I, I agree with what you're saying in that like I, I same way because they didn't seem like particularly devout Muslims uh, in the context of the film I was thinking like oh they're you know they're going into this place it's like a place of judgment but nothing they did deserve judgment and like you like you pointed out the rookie guy who's sort of the focus he uh he didn't do anything. Like, what did he do that was so bad? Like, nothing. There's yeah. no evidence that he's deserving of anything. So I don't think it's a story of punishment uh, deserved. I think it's a story of uh, we're in this horrible situation that we can't even comprehend what's happening to us. Yeah. And it's like, um, I don't know. I, I, I, I found myself also thinking, though, about, like, it's hard to know a little bit because there's so much focus on the visuals in this movie and it's so like an intangible nightmarish whatever there's not a lot of like character story no. all we get from these guys is they're cops they're hanging out they sing in the van the one dude is kind of a dick but that's it like there's not enough well, there is the they're story. there to figure it out there's the story the one guy told about the nightmare he had when he was a little kid about his friend dying. sure yeah, yeah, yeah that was Far more unsettling than the cult ever seen. Well, and I think that it's interesting that the film ties that moment then to, you know, because we see the, the childhood moment. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of the beginning of the movie. And then it ties that back in to some extent at the end. That was so creepy. That is really super effective. And again, it creates this sort of nightmarish feel. Oh my but God. unlike some other movies that deal in that sort of thing, this movie, like, you know, it makes me think of like Possession. Possession is a very nightmarish, yeah, yeah. not rooted in the real world sort of story. This movie, for some reason, it didn't compel me as much as some of those other movies. But I still, it still worked overall. But I, I guess what I mean is that I was asking myself more: Is this real? Is this not real? Yeah, is this yeah. happening? Is this not happening? And my favorite of those movies, I stop asking that question because I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just crazy. This is just crazy, and it's really compelling. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I, I I kind of feel like you could compare this movie to a movie like In the Mouth of Madness in the sense of like... Not knowing what's real. What's not happening. knowing what's real and that's sort of the point. The okay. point is not just In the Mouth of Madness. It's, if, to me at least, and I haven't watched it in a while so I could be wrong, but it seems like the point is not just here's a compelling narrative about what's happening. It's like part of the point of that movie is what's going on. Yeah. And you don't know and you never know for sure. You know, in, in this movie... Except for the very end, which seems to suggest a period on the sentence, so to speak, um, which I didn't necessarily enjoy. Uh, the rest of the movie is so back and forth that I, it felt like that was kind of the point. But maybe it could have been a little more. I'm, I'm not sure. How, how can we really discuss the movie without talking about the end? We can just say it. Let's just say it. That's fine. I, just because it's yeah. a new because it's a newer movie, right. we're inclined not to discuss the ending. Whereas a movie like Prince of Darkness, fuck you, like you should have seen it by now. But uh, when it, uh, when it comes to this movie, because it's newer, I was inclined not to talk about it. But I think you're right. We we got to talk about it. So um, he gets away. Yeah. In his process of getting away, he goes back in some sense to this childhood memory, and then he's in the woods and he gets hit by the van. He's the one that, because there's a scene in the beginning 
when they're driving, and the reason they swerve off the road is because they swerve to avoid... Well, no, they don't avoid, they just hit. Well, they hit, they hit them, and then they crash into the river. And they're like, did you see that? Uh, we hit someone, and then they just, they're like, it, it's it's really weird when that first happens, because they're just like, eh, it's just, someone's dead. And they're like, oh, well. They're, they're concerned, but they're not as concerned as yeah, you would so, be. They're so concerned that they don't go back to look for them. Like, <laughs> that's how concerned they are. So, but then it turns out that, like, in the process, process of escaping, he's, like, running down the road. He gets hit by this van, and it goes in the river. And you're like, oh, he was the person that they hit. Cool. Time travel, that can't be explained at all. Oh well, movie's over. So how do you how do you interpret that? I mean, I guess you could interpret it as like because Papa or the father is talking about like how hell is like a burning creation, we're carrying it around. I guess if you want to get like you could say that like he was the architect of his own demise. It was his doing that led him down the path that led to this near ruination. Yeah. Yeah, I, I interpreted it as, as, well, he's he's doomed now to keep repeating yeah. this uh, scenario of hell. Because I thought, I mean, he doesn't, if I recall correctly, he doesn't die instantly. He still sees the he still sees, yeah go into the water, and he knows that he's about to re-experience yeah. this ascent into hell. So I just, I thought it was important to bring that up because I wonder if there's a sense of contrast. Because he's really the character that that is a pretty decent guy. Yeah, and yeah. So and so, the worst fate of hell is is kind of reserved for him. And so now I wonder if by escaping uh, this hellish atmosphere, he somehow uh, um, uh, that there that that's in contrast to the other police officers who are not very good, but in some way uh, atone for their sins. Yeah, I mean, this uh, and they and they can escape then. The, the reality of this hell situation, which for me, which was what that that spider was. Accidentally sure. That, yeah. that gentleman's mouth. Yeah. That's the physical expression of his oh, wrongdoing. So he can escape the hell. Okay. Because he hasn't he embraced his his come up however you want to Okay. Yeah, the, the the one person who escapes this thing is is can't really escape this and it seems as if this by showing him go through his childhood home it's like this is all tied back to this original this original idea of and it what it made me think of though a little bit is the idea that is his original again i'm not clear that any of these guys have done anything worth being punished but if there is anything did this begin with his wanting to have knowledge of life after death that would did this begin with him saying about his friend like you'll come to me and we'll, well then I'll know I'll know about yeah, yeah. the I'll know it because in a way it's a very innocent form of necromancy is what he's suggesting <laughs> to his friend and now it's like yeah yeah you're gonna have that you're actually gonna have that forever yeah like I I don't know it's it's it's an interesting aspect of it and again I I, I don't want to see say that the movie has to logically make sense I like that. I'm okay with it. I'm totally okay with it. It's just, I don't know how you felt about it, Albert. I'd like to hear what you think. But the having him get hit by that van, for me, felt a little too, like, winky, like, okay. neat, like, just That's too, like, too, wrapped up too neatly. Whereas if it had just been something more creepy, it would have worked better for me. Yeah, I agree. You know, I just think uh, the cult leader is, in a way, was telling the officers, this is how you escape this. You yeah. accept your... You accept whatever evil punishment, you know, the eyes yeah. gouging, you know, sex with this woman with a 
uh, cow head on her, on her head. Or sure, sure, it's, sure. You know, there's a way out of here. But he is, he doesn't, he doesn't accept that. He is, he tries to escape his, his fate. Oh man. I actually think that's actually a really good possibility is what they were. I mean, if they didn't intend that, that's still what they created. That's what happens is that he's going to repeat his fate. Wow. Well, as we said, I don't know how much more there is to discuss. Like the movie's pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah, it's It's weird because it's so much more layered, visual, in some ways abstract than Prince of Darkness. But the ideas are very simple. So, like, we could talk about his dream sequence, about the being trapped in the water, the hand that reaches for him, all these things, all this imagery is there. But I think, and this is just my bias, I think that all that imagery is meant to be surface level. It's all about the imagery. It's not trying to get at something deeper, per se. And again, I'm not saying that, like, when the worms are on the window in Prince of Darkness, that represents a sort of deep whatever. But that that movie is still trying to conquer some, like, larger frameworks, which, if that's what Baskin's trying to do, that just never happened for me. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it definitely... I mean... I liked it... I liked the idea of hell uh, of us building our own hells. I thought I thought that was a neat concept, but I don't think it was some you didn't have to dig very deep because sure. he literally says we carry our own it's not like I was like I wonder if that's what we're getting at. Like you know what I mean? Like it'd be like watching a Godzilla movie be like, I really think this movie's about a giant lizard that's just wrecking a city. I really think that's what they're trying to get at here. Like it's in absolute black and white terms. That's what the main guy the like the chaotic evil of the movie that is given a voice is given a voice through the father, and he says that. I thought that was cool, but I mean, yeah, by and large, I don't think there were any like underlying uh, themes that the people who made this movie were really trying to get at beyond like, look at this horrific shit, look how terrible it is, and you know, none of it makes any sense. Like, and then you know, some impressive. Uh, like Fulci, yes. Not well, not because Fulci was big on the weird visuals, but a lot of like the weird, like the nightmare he had about the, the, his friend with the, the hand, like reaching through the door. That was one of the scariest things. I've, I've, that was so unsettling and weird. It's a great movie to just sit back and enjoy the visuals. You know? Yeah, and there were, there was a lot of hype around that movie. Like I remember a few months ago, I think it was like bloody disgusting. They were like raving about it. Like uh, one of the critics saw like an advanced screen was just like. This is bananas. Like, this is absolutely insane. But then, you know, I also heard, like, a couple bad things about it, so. But yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would, I mean, if you like weird, I mean, I can't, I, I, again, I, I cannot trust this enough. Like, I think a few people went into it wanting something more because the trailer really played up the visuals. And, yeah, the hype. Like, yeah, yeah, and there's a bit of a hype around it, but, again, if you're into visual filmmaking and you are stoked on bloodiness. I mean, there's a lot of gore, there's a lot of yeah. grossness, and it's a very sticky narrative. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very sticky, wet. wet kind of movie. Um, but, I, I, you know, I still found it, I, I, again, I don't know that there's as much to discuss, per se, as much to dig into. It's, it's for a movie that is so abstract, it is very straightforward, but it still was pretty engrossing. Like, I felt like we were never bored. We no. were entertained the whole time. I, mean, it, I just don't love the end. It got hit with a lot of accusations that it was just like, oh, the lead century and the increasingly, yeah, watered-down series of, like, torture porn movies. I don't think it was torture porn. Hmm. You know, That's that is actually yeah, weird to me. You know, I don't think it was, like like I said, I, I, I really, I can't emphasize enough that this really reminded me of the best parts about Hellraiser and the best parts about Event Horizon. Like, the really, 
really beautiful way they were showing just absolutely horrific shit happen to people. Like, it, it, it, it, it was just, it was like, it was, I really, I hate to quote Eli, Eli Roth, because I hate Eli Roth, but Eli Roth once said that, like, Argento films are terrible things happening to people in a very beautiful way. Yeah. And I do think, like, this movie is, like, in that category of, like, you're like, Jesus Christ, when you see, like, this stuff happening, but at the same time, you're like, wow, that's really, someone put a lot of thought in that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's art, like, that's yeah. artistic. I don't know. I haven't read anything about that, so, so I'm not so sure. I, I, read, I don't know if this is true. I read the story about about this film was that uh, Eli Roth had seen the short 11-minute film yeah. and approached the director and said, hey, hmm. do you have enough material to make uh, a full-length film? And the guy said, well, sure. And then he went home with his buddies and wrote the script. Very quickly, he said oh, wow. it would take me ten days to translate the script, but he didn't have a script. So they wrote the script and like. Oh, days. I see what you're saying. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, this is back to your question of like, yeah. hey, if somebody asked you to do Saw Eight, you know, of course you would do it because this is this guy's a big chance. He's like, rock asked you to do. It. And I don't know if this is true. It's just something that I. That I don't know. So they wrote the whole script in like seven days, and then it took an extra two or three days to translate it, and they sent it off. Huh. So, so you think, that's like, great. Like you watch this movie and go, "Wow, this! I can't wait to see what this guy does when he has time to really." Develop I mean, movie. that's what I'm saying. This, this is this is awesome. was this this is his first full length movie, from what I understand, right? This is his first feature length rather movie. Yeah, I can't wait to see the next thing. That's what I'm waiting for. Is the There's, next there, thing. There was definitely movie. there was definitely definitely enough promise in this movie. Was like I want to see what this guy does. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad we could talk about it. And and again, I don't know. I think we can return to religious horror. This is not a subject we've we've again in in considering that we always only do two movies. There's no genre we've watched. We'll come back to everything that yeah, we've yeah. done in the past. Yeah. But uh, but specifically with religious horror, it's interesting that we've sort of are more on the outskirts of it. You know, it'd be different when we do The Omen and The Exorcist or something like that. But uh, but. Um, but thank you for, for listening to it, though. And thank you, Albert, for being yes, a part yeah, of this conversation. Yeah, thank you for being our first guest. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, our first guest ever. Um, cool. What are Do we have anything we want coming up that we want to hype up or anything that happened in the past we want to talk about um, before we wrap up? Not really. I mean, you just say, like, the usual rate, review, subscribe, yeah. iTunes, you know, share. I'm going to try to have this up before Bruce Campbell Horror Film Fest. Okay. But uh, if, if, if I do and you're listening to this and it's uh, not yet, Let's see if today's the 15th and it's Monday, so 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th. It's from the 19th forward in Chicago, uh, Bruce Campbell Horror Film Fest. A lot of great things playing. BCHFF.com. I'm going to try to have this up before then so okay. that that'll matter. I'll if not, uh, I'll let you know in the next episode how it went. <laughs> I'll get the show. I'll get the show notes done as soon as possible. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I just want to see it real quick. Do it. Yesterday, I met Bonnie Aarons. <laughs> The I love, is my witness. I love how much you're stoked on this. Are you familiar? This. I, I, uh, Muhammad Drum. Yeah, she was yeah. the bum. So what yeah. was funny about this is she was also in The Conjuring too. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was like the nun. Okay. So they're like, you know, I'm like, oh, the nun from The Conjuring too. Okay, whatever. Cool. So I'm in there talking to the jerk off from The Walking Dead. The one you were guy. so nice to that guy too. I wanted to, I, I, <laughs> I wanted to kill him, but no, he's a, he's a cool. He was a nice. He was a super nice guy. So I'm like, look, I just, my, my eyes are wandering. I look over, I'm like, Bonnie Aarons, and I'm like, that's the bomb from Mulholland Drive. That's what this is all about now. That's all this is, is me meeting her. 
And I walk up there and I just immediately begin like, and you can, like, if you look at my picture I put on Facebook, like, I'm very clearly trying not, like, I'm trying to look cool and like, you know, what's up and cool, but I'm like, you had such a nerd serious scene, you know, in, you know yeah. Movie. Oh my god, that more frightening than no, it is. Films put yeah, and there's nothing else. That's just it in the movie. There's nothing else that's that creepy. What What I love about that too is you actually approached her saying you played the um, the homeless, the woman. Who doesn't have? And she was just like, "Yeah, the bum, the crazy, yeah, I was the, the bum. I was the crazy bum." And like the way that she said it made it all of a sudden okay for you to like kind of engage because clearly, it, it's some. I mean, it's on her poster, but when you're at these things, you put everything on your poster. So yeah. it was hard to know how she was going to react when you're like, "Oh my god, you were Mulholland Drive," but she was also excited that you knew her from Mulholland. Yeah, Drive. yeah, and she signed it. I got a picture of the bum that she signed to Justin, your favorite bum. Bonnie Aarons, wow. which I will frame above my bed. <laughs> you know, you know what that lady she can do cons for the rest of her life. Yeah. Yes, based on that little sequence. I and mean, she you, was in. Did you? Did either of you see The Conjuring too? No. She was really good in that too. I, I un- sh- like she's under makeup and everything, but she's fucking terrifying. Yeah. It's weird to me that they want to do a movie with just that though. But if it's her, I'll watch it. I mean, I will probably watch yeah. it as well. I mean, I'm going to watch The Conjuring too, and I don't, yeah. you know, whatever. But wow. All right. Well, Albert, is there anything you wanted to hype up? I mean, if you're in the Lehigh Valley and you're listening to this and you're not part of the Lehigh Valley horror community on Facebook, cease fucking posing and get on that Facebook group. Um, other than that, yeah, I, I think we're just uh, we're we're happy to be at Monster Mania. We're happy that people checked us out if this is hardcore. Yeah. Um, you know, the usual, uh, download, some, download us on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, uh, join our Facebook group, the Harbiz 666 on Facebook. Um, and if you have any questions or you want to maybe come on and hang out with us and shoot the shit sometime, get at us, uh, the Harbiz at gmail.com and the Harbiz 666 on Twitter. And I think that's about it. All right. All right. See you on the other side.